It's Two Jerks, One Vote, with Jerkatorium doing reviews of the Porcupine Song Fight. And this time we have two very special guests, Glenn Case and Mo. Hi, I'm Chumpy, and this is the Jerk. Hi. Now here's how this thing works. We've won some fights enough that we think we know our stuff. We'll listen to your submission, subjected to our praise and our derision. I know that sounds unfair. But you're not obliged to care Yeah, you're gonna lose this song fight And yes, I'm talking to you Yeah, you're gonna lose this song fight Deep down inside you know that it's true Most of these bands are gonna lose When the song fight is done And your band's won And by your band's won I don't mean your band's won With bands being a contraction of band has And one meaning the past tense of Let's talk about the Freak Flag podcast. Let's just wrap that up. So the winner yeah. was Balance Lost. Yeah. And we all liked that one. We all voted for that one. So, yeah. yeah, not a huge surprise. And the other people that we liked did really well. Fussy Bridges, John Benjamin Band. Who's the other one? There were a group of, I think, four bands who got in the double digits. And they were all great. And I think I'd voted for all of them anyway. So, yeah, it turned out to be a really good fight. The right people won. Woo-hoo. We so are tastemakers. <laughs> Even though it just got released a week after voting ended. Retroactive tastemakers. Yeah, yeah. But uh, hey, this time around for the porcupine fight, we have two very special guests. Uh, guest number one or number two, whoever I'm announcing him first, though, is Glenn Case. Hi and, there. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Uh, Glenn has been competing in song fights since at least 2003. That's over 15 years. He is a member of the elite inner echelon blood circle. <laughs> uh, in addition to submitting and repeatedly winning song fights as Glenn Case, he has done the same under almost too many band names and collaborations to mention, including Abbott Presley, Baby <laughs> in the Corner, The Basket Robbers, Chuck the Bear, The Deaf Author, Dreamy Mo and the Commoners, <laughs> Drink Drank Drunk, Fro Envy, uh, yep. the Front a Little Squad, oh, yeah, Government Cheese, mm-hmm. Insects <laughs> Ahead, yep, Agony Sauce, the Krispy Creams, MC Soda Culture, uh, <laughs> Tripped, and also his collaborations with Rachel Lane and Eddie Bangs and the Half Racks and State Shirt. And he's done lots of stuff uh, on side fights and cover fights. I counted at least 18 song fight wins and three Nurein rounds won. Wow. Uh, very strong showings and amazing songs in Nurein 3 and 14. And he won Nurein number one. Wow. And uh, that Nurein number one round one song, Pencil Me In, it might be the most covered song in Nurein and song fight history. Wow. Uh, you should check out his YouTube channel, username Glenn Case with two N's, G-L-E-N-N-C-A-S-E, all one word. Check out his Bandcamp page at glencase.bandcamp.com. Check him out on Spotify and become a patron through his Patreon page at patreon.com slash glencase. So we want to welcome him, but we also want to welcome our other guest. And who's that, Jumpy? We've got Mo. Mo plays guitar and bass. 
is a song fight old timer from way back. Like I'm talking the Dumbrella boards. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> he is half of Agony Sauce, the guitar playing half, who is, as we all know, the runner up for Neurine 14. Let's see, he plays in the Razor Boys and Diamond Cats, who are Steely Dan and David Bowie tribute bands, respectively. He's a founding member of the DuBose Triangle, along with his college roommate Damien, a uh, member of Son of Supercar and Guitarist. <laughs> is another one I found. Guitarist, I which is that one, yeah. yep, solo guitar <laughs> stuff. He's a huge sports fan, especially baseball. And let's see, Mo moved to Shanghai in the mid-aughts. And due to an incident with a broken wine glass, severed a nerve in his ring finger, this is the fretting hand, can't feel anything in it. Is that still true, Mo? Yeah, more or less. More or less, yeah. Uh, let's see. So in Shanghai, he produced and directed nationally broadcast TV shows, including Big Brother China, also known as Housemates Stay Together. Has an interesting IMDb page is MZMO on Twitter and on Medium, where he blogs about guitars, amps, distortion pedals, and more guitars, and now lives in L.A. Welcome, Mo. Why, thank you. I think you may have missed Ellipsis. That was one of his. I don't know if he actually did anything uh, under that name for Songfight, though. Yeah, there were three Ellipsis songs. I was also did Milwaukee Youth Center choir stuff with them. Yeah. And uh, like all the Damien stuff that's not MC Front a lot that he lets other people do with him. <laughs> like I've been involved in at least one song for all of those. So you were in like You're in Luck and. Uh, oh, yeah. I think of the other ones. Yeah. Milwaukee Youth Center Choir. I was a huge fan. Red Robot, Bad Dreams, all good, good stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's basically Damien's Berkeley Collective of people. Actually, if I can throw a plug in here, one of the Milwaukee Youth Center Choir guys, uh, Gabby Alter, and their new album is coming out, I think, like, now. Cool. We'll check that out. Gabby Alter? Yeah, that's right. We might uh, need some help with the spelling. Yeah, it's yeah. G-A-B-Y. I know that's his, uh, the first name. Okay. Yeah, and then Alter is, like, you know, just altered. <laughs> so he goes by the nickname G-7 when G-Alt is right there. It's literally like, <laughs> so I don't, never understood why he did that. Wasn't he the first keyboardist for MC Frontalot on tour, too? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Damien's original first band, because I was gone uh, in China by that point for MC Frontalot stuff, was like Gobby and Brandon, and uh, who was another one of our housemates from Wesleyan, and uh, I forget who the drummer was. The first year, he didn't have a band that was proper, and so I played bass for him at the first Penny Arcade Expo, and we were not good. Um, <laughs> we we had one weekend to rehearse, so it was Spud of Octothorpe on keyboards, I was on bass, and Blue Lang of Son of Supercar on drums, and we played for like 700 people at Penny Arcade, and we were not very good. I feel like Frontalot went back to the drawing board the next year, and they came back with a proper band that had had the time to rehearse, and boy, howdy, they were at least 10 times better. <laughs> Fun fact. Oh, and Yuke. Yuke was the uh, sideman. He submitted stuff to Song Fight under the name Miss, M-I-S-S, with a style of music called Sadcore. Oh, yeah. I'm on a couple of Miss songs, too. Yeah, no, there you go. Because Yuke, Yuke and I were housemates in San Francisco. We're going to have to go back and check some of that stuff out. Is, is there <laughs> anything else that we missed? I mean, there's so much. Probably... Probably you, because there's a number of times that I did like one-offs with people. I did like a one-off with Jeff from Ad Music, and I think it was plus, plus dot. dot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Forgot about plus dot. 
Uh, team yeah. music. Team music. Team music. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and that's Frontalot, Uke, and Mo. And they basically made this wonderful uh, song called Death Plunge. I still love it with its uh, ridiculous uh, vocal. The well, part of the thing was that Damien, because he was so strong as MC Frontalot, right? If he wanted to do something else in Songfight, he wanted to make it like as different from MC Frontalot as possible, right? So he would go and change his vocal timbre or try to put some effects on his voice or try to sing in a different way. Wow. Very cool. Now, there are like a hundred Son of Supercar songs. <laughs> How many of them are you on? Are you on most of them? or No, I'm actually not on that many of them because I basically got asked to join them i think in 2003 ish so there's only maybe like seven or so fights that i'm on and then i'm also on a bunch of the album we have ignition yeah yeah the album fight album cool but they ended up finishing that album after i it's a long story but basically like i was supposed to go to china and come back and then i didn't come back so <laughs> and I feel like there's at least three alternate versions of that album. There are so many outtakes and different versions of the songs from We Have Ignition. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I still have the versions of it that have all of me on it. And you have probably haven't heard those. So I, I think I have them because I backed up everything that was on songhole.com. Oh, that's possible then. Yeah. Before it went away. So it was some ridiculous, like hundreds or thousands of SOS practices and alternate takes and a whole bunch of stuff. It's ridiculous. Wow. Between you and Fluffy, you guys have everything. <laughs> well, I think you guys have filled in everything since then. Like, you really seem to know your stuff. I'm actually very impressed that you knew as many of those side projects as you did. But there are bits of it that I probably am not even remembering. It's like, oh, yeah, I did that. I just, you know, I, I did list a bunch of those, I guess, on my Glenn Case profile on Songfight. But there's likely others. I'd say you got about 90% of them, though. So good job. That's Ryan did his homework. Clearly. <laughs> I fear we're talking insider baseball enough that we might lose people, though. So hopefully not, though. No, this is homework. Everybody's got to check all of these out. Got to check out all of these 19-year-old songs. This may be the episode where we have to do show notes because we need to put links to all of this stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we threatened to do that for the John Benjamin one. Oh, uh, man. Nobody has that, the attack of the show. Uh, oh, I... I wish I did. I took part in it, but I was working at a radio station at the time, and I was at my job where I was supposed to be working on my job, that <laughs> they did the Prayer for Pancakes thing, and go! You have like 15, 20 minutes to write a song. So I'm submitting it while I'm at my radio station job <laughs> when I'm supposed to be working. So That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. In an earlier podcast, I harshed Prayer for Pancakes. It's like I said, well, if it was only 15 minutes, they probably all suck. And then I went back and listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> and notice that they do not. They famously do not suck. So, yeah. Just being I, under pressure. It, yeah, yeah. And I mentioned it on the next podcast. I was like, yeah, no, I was wrong. Those are good songs. Uh, yeah. Almost all of them are, are uh, surprisingly great. So, we yeah. all got marked as winners. So I thought that was a nice touch. But don't you find, like, most of the time, like, your first idea is probably the best one that you came up with? Boy, I feel like it's a balance. I feel like it's such a balance because there is that idea that the first one is the best and to just go with that. And there is somewhere in between that and overcooking it where you don't want to overcook it either. Like that happy balance is somewhere in between those two, I feel like. Right. But there's a thing about like execution and ideas that are separate, right? Like I'll do like, you know, 100 takes of a guitar solo or whatever. Okay, maybe not that many, but, you know, <laughs> I'll do like a few. But uh, usually it's all trying to do the same idea. Sure. 
you know, and it's just trying to do the best version of that idea. Like, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You know what I mean? So, like, when you're talking about writing a song or something like that, a lot of times it's like the first idea is the good one, and <laughs> and you're just trying to like make it not suck. <laughs> I have some terrible impulses, so I, oh, I feel oh, like boy. sometimes my first idea is not the one we should go with. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what Ryan's there for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ryan is good uh, at telling me that I'm terrible. I, I, I think we need examples. I think. I think. Okay. All right. So, uh, anytime uh, I want to do an emo y Elliot Smith song, Ryan is like, no, no. Yeah. Bad Chumpy. No. Yeah. Well, some of our kind of hoppiest, poppiest songs, like uh, Day of the Dead and also Center Square from Spin Tunes. They started out as sounding very much like dirges. And then at some point I rebelled and I'm like, this is bullshit. Let's make this happy. And then I send him one. Hey, wouldn't it be funny if it sounded like this? And Chumpy's like, I'm all in. Let's do that way instead. So it depends. Like, I think, you know, with your idea that first idea sounds best often. I think if people went that way, then we'll probably end up getting like 15 submissions for the next one, Tumbleweed, that are all country. And that's not necessarily bad, but it might be bad. Yeah, that's a good point. Potential for badness there, for sure. Yeah, you definitely think of ghost towns and everything. So I've written a song for that, but I haven't submitted it yet. We'll see if I have a song uh, in that fight. Cool. Is your song about the Big Lebowski? It is not, uh, shockingly. And I did not use the word ghost town, but I used the words ghost and town, just not in that order. So town ghost. (laughs) It's a town of ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. The word tumbleweed doesn't show up, oddly enough. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Okay. I'm going to put in all of the other uh, optional challenges from Narayan. In, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you realize that Glenn just does this all through his life now. He goes up to breakfast, gets up in the morning for breakfast. He's like, I need chip tunes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. So you guys ready to talk about porcupine? Yeah, let's do it. They are one of my favorite animals. The first song in the list, alphabetically. Balance lost. It's on the news. Authority abused again. They thought they'd never get caught, but then we saw another victim. The revolving door that keeps on spinning. What can we do if they won't listen? Or consequence? There's something missing. There's a million of us, a thousand of them. Unlike those odds, it has to end. I'm becoming trouble again. All right, who wants to take first swing at this one? I will talk about the fact that I was listening to this at my day job, and the lyric, on a porcupine, the pricks are on the outside, made me laugh out loud like an idiot at my day job. I will say that right off the bat. And I was ready to hate this song. The vocals often kind of seem like they're going sharp, but then the kick-in happened, and I was on board. So that was what I immediately ended up liking about that. I thought that was a question of, like, the mix was made to the end of the song and then there was never a correction that was made at the beginning of the song to like smooth out the experience yeah and then they kind of lost me again at about the one minute 53 second mark up until like the two minute 32 second mark that section was an instrumental section that almost seemed unnecessary 
And then the speeding up detracted, I think, from the song even more. Rather than being like this fun new element, I thought that, yeah, it just didn't feel necessary. The songwriting, fairly solid. Um, the kick-in, great. Overall, uh, you know, it was it was mixed for me. I liked the speed-up at the end. I really oh. did. It, yeah. So, so Agony Sauce is split on it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the question of which one is the agony and which one's the sauce. This uh, is true. Clearly, well, you're the sauce. It was, also, it was also a key modulation, too, at the end, like one of those gear change yeah. key modulations. Oh, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I guess it's sort of taboo to do that because it was so tacky throughout the 70s and maybe early 80s. But maybe it's cool again. I don't know. Yeah, the gear changes. Yeah, maybe it. Yeah, you might well, be I mean, exactly right. We took all that crap for gear changes in whichever song we, it was that we did that, that had that in your eye. And it was like... I don't know. I, I just like them. It's fine. It's fine to me. I like the speed up at the end mostly because it made it sound different. Because I felt like the way it built up and it sounded, and there was like a different thing that happened from the like the first third of the song maybe until like the band like seriously kicks in. And then there needed to be something else that happened and I felt like it was sort of getting boring by the end. I'll agree with that, but I just wish that it had been something different than what they actually did. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. You know, the only thing that really struck me, or not the only thing, but the main thing that really struck me about the song is the way that every verse starts out with that sort of hypothetical premise. Like, what's different between a porcupine and a police, or what's similar? What is, what is it actually? I don't remember. Porcupine and a policeman, and I think porcupine and a politician. Yeah. Like, it was, it was Parliament versus a police car. Oh, okay. And yeah. that initial joke is at least 30 years old. I remember <laughs> telling it back then when I'd first heard it. And I, I happen to know somebody with a BMW, and that's how I'd first heard it. And so I'd, <laughs> I'd tell it to them. I'd say, you know, what's the difference between a BMW and a porcupine? And you'd say, well, right, a porcupine, right. the bricks are on the outside. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's an old, old, old joke. And that's one of the first things that hit me when this title was announced, too. And then first song alphabetically that pops up, the first song that I listened to for this fight ends up the very first lines are that joke. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I wonder if we're going to get a ton of that during this. So, but this, this was the only one that did, which is fine. They went with your first instinct. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I, I'm all for that. Everybody should go with my first instinct when they write. (laughs) It would be a lot better if they did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a caveman. Very simple. Like I really like it when there's like a sort of a buildup. And, like, the first verse starts very low energy, the pre-chorus picks it up a notch, and the chorus has a bunch of great energy. Uh, That's such a common trick, but I'm still amused by it every time. So I really like that. I like the chorus a lot. It was was my favorite part of the song. Yeah, oh, it was... I think it was good songwriting overall, and I still would rather that they did what they did than what we are going to hear in some of these other ones where there's no dynamics whatsoever, and it's just flatline the entire time. At least it didn't do that. Also with this one, I hadn't known that porcupines have an odor and I'd never also considered them like in black and white, but apparently they are black and white. They, they always seem sort of, you know, mid range tone to me. But yeah, so then I went to Wikipedia and sure enough, the quills are black and white and they uh, emit an odor, you know, so that was convenient for his second joke. I, I feel like he may have went to Wikipedia to <laughs> research the lyrics. Yeah, that's probably safe. I, mean, <laughs> I, I know someone else who did that too, <laughs> John Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird. I mean, he said that in the last podcast, but I mean, yeah, I he, think he, that... <laughs> he proclaimed his love for Wikipedia songs. Yeah, but then when you go to that song, where I'm getting ahead of myself. But when you go to that song, it's more lore than it is science, and uh, except for the uh, genus and species. But we're not talking about that song yet. 
I thought the opening vocal delivery of this Balance Lost song, it, it seemed kind of overly melodramatic, especially with the joke entry. Yeah. Uh, but then it quickly morphed into something stronger, and I liked that. I thought the lyrics were great, and um, I love the guitar work in this. It's really oh, yeah, the guitar work's nice. Yeah. 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 For a lot of these songs, I noticed the vocals as the mix. The vocals for a lot of these songs are really high in the mix to me, and they're also like really compressed. In this particular song is something that I noticed as the compression even sounded a little bit hissy to me. I don't know if you guys felt that way about it. Mo, you always say that the vocals are too loud in the mix, though. Yeah, but every time I say that to somebody and they say, no, they aren't, I ask them, what do you listen to as your reference mix? And they always say, I don't listen to reference mix. <laughs> What's a reference I mean, don't get me wrong. You're not wrong. Oh, yeah, the idea of the reference mix, I'll let, uh, well, I should just let Mo answer it. But now, since I've started talking, I will, um, would be the idea that for comparing and contrasting, you listen to a song that you really like and then go back to listening to the mix that you've done and you compare and contrast it with the professional song. And by comparing an A to B comparison, you can be like, oh, this song that I like the vocals are a lot quieter, so I should adjust to make it more like this great song that I like. Right. I get it. So, Chumpy, what's your uh, Yoko Ono comparison mix? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. Okay. All right. That just sounds just like a recipe for depression. <laughs> that kind of A being. <laughs> there you go. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mo. Oh, no, that's exactly right. But I would say, like, it helps if you know what kind of sound you're going for. Right. So if you start out, you're doing a song, and you're like, you know, this song reminds me of Just Like Heaven by The Cure. And now you're listening to that to see like how that's going to go. Or, you know, that's obviously not going to be the same song as if you're sitting there being like, I want to do Stop by Jane's Addiction. Right. right. And uh, I'm going to listen to that mix. That's a totally different mix. That's a totally different way of approaching the music. So I'm always curious about what people's reference mixes are for the particular songs that they're trying to do. If any. Yeah, I think for most of Song Fight, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was a trick that I learned uh, from Puce, though. Uh, Puce made a couple of uh, how-to videos for me, and that was one of the first things he talked about was uh, reference mixes oh, cool. and how valuable they are. Yeah, because you're not objective, right? You, yeah. Especially, like, let's say you're a guitar player, something that uh, I have no experience with. And you... <laughs> and, you listening to this song and you're like, my guitar solo needs to be like a fuck ton louder. Oh, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. My guitar solo needs to be a fuck ton louder. <laughs> and then you go back and you listen to anything else and you're like, oh, Jesus, um, that may not have been a good call because you're <laughs> used to hearing your guitar tone a particular way, right? So you always want to hear it big. Or if you're the vocalist and you're mixing, you're used to hearing your voice a certain way. You're probably constantly used to turning up your vocal in your headphones so that you can hear yourself better when you're recording or you're performing. You get used to hearing that. I don't know what drummers listen to. The radio. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm assuming it's the same thing. You know, like you want to hear the nuance in what you're performing. And sometimes that's not the best thing for the song. Right. Yeah. That's why we don't let drummers mix the album. <laughs> Unless it's like Neil Pert or something, right? Yeah, or Phil Collins, baby. All right, so do you guys want to move on to Berkeley social scene? Sure. I got the pork, you got the pine, sweet to taste, no saccharide. Liability in all directions. Pure danger set through conviction. Liability surfaces and all. 
Jeff Leppard being slightly out of time really bothers me. Yes. <laughs> and so I missed they... all of the Jeff Leppard references. What There's did I miss? One. It's just the one in the intro. It's uh, basically pour some sugar on me that they're referencing at the very beginning. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yes. And then they reference the Pet Shop Boys uh, song Opportunities later in there. And I feel like those two things did not belong in this song. It's cute, but I feel like it actually detracted and derailed the song a little bit. With a lot of Berkeley social scene songs, they sometimes end up sounding like songs made by committee, where it was almost like they took a (laughs) vote and... The majority said that we're going to go ahead and put these in there, and there were probably just under half the band objecting to it, not wanting it in there. And so you put all of the ideas in there, and it's almost like a too many cooks sort of thing. Yeah. How many people are in that band? I'm guessing about five. Well, because otherwise you get a lot of ties. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. It's Lunkhead, Glennie, Ken, Martin, and Geech sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've only been in a room with like four of them at a time. So. Yeah, that's usually how that ends up working, too. I will say that these may be the best vocals I've ever heard in a Berkeley social scene song. And yeah, I that's believe all it's Sam. Like, it's Sam. That, that's what it is, too. Yeah, the vocal was solid, man. The vocal was good. I like the riff. I like the chorus, you know, like just the way it's sort of built into it. And the only thing that bothered me about the chorus was just that drum fill, the snare, that keeps happening again and again because nobody else went with it. Yeah. Yeah. If there were more like people... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It oh felt like God. it was in a different song or that they were in a different song, you know? And I understand that that happens when you're, like, in the room and you're playing it and you're going to play it through, like, what, two, three takes, and then you're just going to go with it. It would have been nice to have that, like, go together. It would have felt like it was an integral part of the song as opposed to just, like, a fill that was happening. And I feel like the lyric, your quill divine, oh, is pretty, pretty awkward. That's very awkward. Oh, yeah. My main notes say, oh, my God, why are the chorus lyrics the worst ones? <laughs> like, porcupine, well, we must align. Don't stick me with your spine. Your quill divine. It's just yeah. oh, yuck. Put down the rhyming dictionary. Yeah, but also on the boards he misspelled divine. I know with an e, it. which means oh. guess, right? I want is that is that another reference or? I feel like it probably has to be a reference to something that I'm just not catching to. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, since it's capitalized, maybe it's somebody's name. I don't know who though. Uh, so, yeah. Well, there, the there is a person queen? named Divine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but it's spelled with an e. Divine is spelled with an I, unless we're talking about a different divine. No, okay. So divine with an E means guess, right? Like a divining rod. I think that's still I. No, that's an I. That's a a divining rod. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually serious about that one. Oh, yeah, okay. Or like a golf club is a divining rod because you create divots. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, you could say something like, I can't divine the nature of this thing. Yeah. Which is with an E. Right. Yeah, that's with uh, an I, I. I think that is still too. Yeah, I'm looking it up. I'm typing "define divine" <laughs> <laughs> into Google. Well, it does say that D E V I N E is a uh, guess. Yeah. Huh. But who knows? It's the internet. It could be. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't trust the internet. But yeah, I just think the the over rhyming there is bad, and just certain words I don't think belong in rock and roll songs. Like <laughs> the word "align" just does not belong in a rock and roll song. What about Tool? Tool can do it, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like there are exceptions, but more often than not, you would be right, yeah. Did you guys also find the mix to be a little bit weird? For a BSS song. Well, I haven't been listening to a lot of these fights in like a while, but the bass has notes that are just sort of popping out of the mix. 
maybe it's just me. I, I can't say that I caught that part, but yeah, I didn't catch yeah. that either. Yeah, there's just like little bits in the there's little bits in the court. I can't think of uh, an exact, you know, I didn't write down times or anything like that. But there's like parts where the the basis sort of pops out of the mix, and there's sort of things where like the roads and the the guitar are sort of eating each other's mids. You know, that's yeah, I the- did hear that the roads seemed like it was unsettled in the mix or something. I don't know exactly, but it was uh, throwing me off. I would say because I know I've talked to Sam before about you know setting up templates. One of the things he wants to do is to set up templates because they have one rehearsal room that they record in together, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it would be easier if they had this whole thing set up every time and you knew that you were going to get a consistent sound and like everything, consistent levels and everything was just going to like fit into a mix perfectly. Save you a lot of time. Yeah. yeah, but apparently they haven't gotten around to that yet. So it's one of the things that maybe they should notice or pay attention to. What about you, Ryan? Uh, you've been sort of quiet on this one. I'm looking at Divine uh, for <laughs> different, different, with a capital D. I went onto Wikipedia and I'm looking at everybody listed as a musician with the last name of Divine. And it's not promising. Yeah, I think this is a red herring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so never mind. It was a goose chase. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, we've kind of already gone over all my notes. I thought Sam's voice is lovely. I thought the lyrics are. Okay, uh, that Pet Shop Boys reference kind of comes out of nowhere. The song sounds good, but I also had problems with the snare. I think like during the chorus, there's like this weird sort of random groups of hits, I thought. And they're not random. I mean, they come in and they leave at similar times throughout, but they just seem oddly placed. To that, me. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about, too. Yeah, it's a very Ken thing to do. He does it a lot. But in this particular case, it just felt like it was just happening and not part of the song. I feel like I can't criticize it, though, because it's a real drum. It's something that Kyle would never do. <laughs> but, you know, Kyle's not real, so. <laughs> You're going to hurt his feelings, Ryan. He, he doesn't need my validation. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Let's talk about the Elephant Choir. Porcupine went walking One fine day last autumn He spied in the sky a great red balloon Oh my, how he was gawking Great balloon came landing right where he was standing. To fly, he thought, in such a thing would be most outstanding. In the basket stood a baboon with eyes like two full moons and hair as purple as grapes on a vine. He sang the loveliest tune. Yes, boys and girls, it was the loveliest tune the porcupine had ever heard. Something like this. We can go out for a ride on the wind across the skies. You seem like a decent bloke, but don't you dare, don't you dare to poke a hole in my balloon. Let's talk about the elephant choir. In the room. Yeah, I'm just going to just do that. Uh, If we start thinking alike, I feel sorry for you. (laughs) Oh, my God. Please do not say yes, boys and girls. I don't know. I actually liked the storyteller things where he, the asides. I feel like that could have sunk or saved the song, and I didn't hate it. I thought it worked okay here. Like he was basically a folk singer in a classroom yeah, with a group yeah. of children. And, and I thought it worked okay here. I thought that there were a lot of lines that had too many syllables in them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Right, yeah. where he's, you can hear he's trying to stuff the line full. Instead I call of it shoehorning. Like yeah, shoehorning. <laughs> shoehorning lyrics into songs is a song fight staple. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sort of just takes you out of the song, right? It, it, it distracts you because now you're noticing craft and you shouldn't be noticing Yeah, craft. You Correct. really notice it on the last line where he's like, that's why I wrote this song. And I hate songs that reference writing songs, usually, for the most part, too. Oh, yeah. With the exception of Your Song by Elton John, that one gets a pass. But by and large, you know, songs talking about writing songs, normally I'm going to tune out. So if you have large, googly sunglasses, then it's okay. <laughs> That's why. That's why. It's a license to meta. <laughs> Off to the large, googly sunglasses store for me. <laughs> I mean, it can work. It can work. But I, I felt like it absolutely was not necessary in this one. Yeah. Yeah. We I have did to like do some a... of the harmonies, though. The harmonies were nice. Oh, and the chorus. Oh, absolutely. So good. Oh, yeah, yeah. The duet part where the female vocalist comes in. Yeah. Great. Wonderful stuff. Rachel uh, was listening, and she thought that he might have been shooting for a John Prine sound, and I don't disagree. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I thought it was sort of Dylan-esque in its kind of folksiness, at least on the verses. Yeah. yeah. That. I, I also got that vibe as well. Yeah, and whenever I heard the line "loveliest tune," the way that it's phrased and the way that the stress syllables go, I always heard "lovely yes tune." Uh, yes, so, I thought that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, no, it's loveliest. I'm sure it's loveliest because you get it later on by you know the associations that he's making. It's like, oh, that's what he meant. But it it's always like, sounded like "lovely yes tune." Are we like, going to go listen to Roundabout after this? Is that what's yeah. going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the phrasing and the cadence had problems. And I think though, you know, I, I kind of discount a lot of that in verses because I think you can get away with a lot in verses that as long as you got an okay chorus and this had an okay chorus. But the main thing about this song was I was worried that this would turn into that super basic bitch retelling of the frog and scorpion parable. And, <laughs> oh yeah. And it didn't do that. And I'm glad because I think that's problematic. But yeah, but it didn't do that at all. So I was happy that uh, they just fell into this magical land of dancing hippos or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> My birthday's in November. What problems do you have with scorpions? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to think that I want to rewrite like the frog and the scorpion thing, but I want to do it like with Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. I just don't know who the frog is yet. Maybe Kermit. I don't know. That seems like a song waiting to happen. <laughs> I would pay to watch Kermit fight Scorpion. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And at the end, when Scorpion's about to kill him, he does a friendship move instead. <laughs> and then he, like, does dances under a disco ball or something. <laughs> well, it doesn't the end of that have to be, like, Miss Piggy comes out to save her man? Oh, see, maybe. There you go. And, and she comes out with her karate, and she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers, man. Come on. I'm so uh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> but I, I do think that the chorus was really good in this song. That was It was really great. Oh, yeah. The complaint I had, though, is like on one chorus, you know, the porcupine is in a balloon and he's flying through the sky and he sees a hawk. And this is during the chorus. And this hawk sound goes, Rah! like right in the middle of the chorus. And I'm like, turn I'm sorry, that what? shit down. I'm sorry. What does it do? There's a hawk that goes Rah! or something <laughs> like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that for me. <laughs> yeah. But they do the same thing with the pop when the balloon pops, right? Oh, they yeah. Do, this do they? It just... Because a pop sound sounds like a pop, apparently, or something. Or are we talking about the same thing? I don't know. Was there a sound effect in both choruses? I only heard it in one. It kind of threw me. I'm like, oh, okay. It's there. Yeah. I don't know why. If you want to put that, you know, amongst your beautiful harmonies, that's that's your choice. <laughs> 
Okay, so I think we're done with the Elephant Choir. Why don't we talk about Jim Tyrell? What does this song remind me of? Oh, I'm going to tell you right now. It is actually like a lost XTC song from the late 80s with Colin Moulding on lead vocal. It doesn't sound specifically like it, but it would not be out of place on an album like Skylarking or Oranges and Lemons. That's my thought. That scans. But I mean, I think it sounds very much like a song that I've heard before several times and I can't place it. So like a very specific one that might be you know, a throwaway track on, on, I don't know what, on some prog rock album, or maybe uh, they might be giants thing or something like that. Just the way that, you know, the, the chords kind of, uh, I, I'm not going to say it cause I couldn't figure it out. I, I went over it and over it and over it. And I, I was trying to think like, okay, just so what does it seem like? familiar. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Very familiar in just the way that the melody went and the way that the chord progression went. And I thought it was inventive. I just also thought it sounded very familiar to me. Yeah, I, I did love the chord structure. I would say that Jim's vocal performance is a little more nasal than I'm used to hearing, and I don't particularly like what he did with his voice on this one. I've heard him sing a lot better on other songs, and I am a friend of Jim's. I always pronounced it Tyrell as well, and I believe it's Terrell. Oh, okay. He corrected me at one point. I believe it's either Terrell or Terrell, and um, now I'm not remembering which one of the two those are. <laughs> but but I found out myself it was not Tyrell. I know that. Right. right. The reason why you think it's Tyrell is because of Blade Runner. Oh, that could be. So who knows? Maybe he's got like a bunch of Nexus Six replicants hanging hang on. His <laughs> I really like the song. The song that it reminded me of was just in that verse when he does like this sort of sustained chord arpeggio thing. That sounds like Pets. Like oh, by Porn of Papyrus, yeah. yeah that, that's almost exactly the same riff as Pets. The piano, when it comes in, the, pia- the layering of the piano comes in, that's really good. I thought it was an excellent song. I love the instrumental break. Like, I think it's a melodica or something that's in the instrumental section. It's uh, It just sounds sort of exotic and mysterious to me. There's like a flute, a piano, a guitar. I like the sort of bossa jazz percussion elements. Yeah, this yeah. was this was super well done, and the lyrics. I I was really a fan of the lyrics. Like yes, yes. Like, no sword is quite as mighty as the quill, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, yes. A moonlight midnight world at your command. Mountains can't hold back the dawn. Like and of course, spearful symmetry, which lit up the boards. So yeah, good good stuff on there. Yeah, I mean, going back to the shoehorning thing, not in terms of rhythmic phrasing this time, but in terms of like how pe- like it's a song fight thing, right? You always get a title, and people always like try to figure out ways to, this was one of the best ways of using that title i think in this group of songs yeah it's top tier for me for sure if he goes back and re-records the vocal this is a winner amongst the other jim terrell songs that i listen to on repeat uh french toast is one of his best songs and um from the song fight archives there's one called hey ruth that i will listen to on repeat 
this is a bit of a Wikipedia song too, though. And oh yeah, it, it, it's a good one. It's a good Wikipedia song, but it's a Wikipedia song. And I'm going to say I, I think it suffers a little from being uh, like this quirky number in this song list directly after a more charming quirky take, which I thought was the Elephant Choir. Sure. Um, which uh, the Elephant Choir obviously had some issues and some problems, but I thought it was a little bit more upbeat than this one. So it, I think it, it just suffered from that, which is unfortunate and not the fault of the song. I still liked it. Yeah, I put it in my top five. Listen, I totally cover this song. Yeah. Oh, same. Same. Jim sent me a T-shirt recently from, he lives in uh, New Hampshire. There's a fun spot, the arcade that they have there with all of the 1980s uh, arcade ones. So shout out to Jim. He is a friend of mine. I don't want to end up coming across as where I'm giving favoritism to friends, but I've come to realize one of the reasons that you become friends with some of these people is because of the mutual respect and admiration that can go back and forth. And I, uh, I appreciate his craft. So how do you explain us? One of these days, I'll figure it out, Mo. One of these days. <laughs> he is dreamy, though. I mean, you got to get him. He is that. so oh, dreamy. Please. We were trying to figure out the other day where that came from, and I, <laughs> I do not remember for the life of me where that came from. It's somewhere in IRC chat, and I'm telling you, Drew Tate's is one of the main reasons that that came to be. I don't recall that where the dreamy part specifically, but it definitely happened back in the days of your um, on the song fight chat boards on IRC. Wow. Yeah. I- can't wait for that thing to die. <laughs> I am still on the IRC song fight chat. What? Yeah. It, it exists still? It, it still exists, and there are like four or five of us kicking around on there. Although recently, wow. Owl and Vom joined, so it's much oh, more lively that's, now. That's fantastic. We Like right now on Facebook Messenger, the largest message thread that I have by far is Mo, Owl, Vom, and myself, actually. And I, I come back, oh, 60 unread messages. Awesome. Oh, cool. I, I, yeah, but that, that's mostly because we're trying to figure out what guitar Vom should buy next. Yes. <laughs> They're yep. good people. I like them quite a bit. I, um, if we had to lose to someone, I'm glad it was them. We had them both on the podcast, and they were both just wonderful and funny and cool. And uh, yeah. Well, this, this must be a letdown in comparison. I apologize. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, uh, Glenn, no. up your jokes potion. <laughs> Quick, then, Glenn, diss somebody, diss somebody. Quick. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I'll take a hard pass. <laughs> you put them together, you almost have a podcast. <laughs> so, how did you guys feel about that? Diss? That uh, that's what led you to you know end up not voting for us at the final, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, brother. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was sweet. We just held on and nurtured that grudge. <laughs> That's right. Just held it close and petted Couldn't... it and loved it. <laughs> Couldn't possibly so it... be that they made a better song. It, it was like Stranger Things too. then with the Demo Gorgon as your pet that you... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. All right, so this leads us to the John Benjamin Band's first song, the one that's a waltz, I have first. Every evening Finds us dancing to the porcupine waltz. After all of the stories are read. If you're listening, you might hear me while we are dancing as one final good night is said. Oh, the last thing I do. Whisper, I love you as I watch 
Pantyhose. <laughs> okay. Florida. Buddhism. Things um, that are I in just, John Benjamin's song. <laughs> well, no, no. But that's, this could have had porcupine replaced with just about any three-syllable word and not lose anything at all because uh, it doesn't have anything to do with porcupines. And that's fine. You know, I don't think that's a problem. It's a solid, pleasant song with great performances, uh, great vocal work. And a sweet melody, it very competently and very confidently achieves exactly what it's going for. But porcupines have nothing to do with this song, so it could have been. Again, uh, I'm going to say that any take any three syllables and place it in there, replace porcupine, and this could have been that. And that's I, fine. It's just that I'm kind of like thinking this song didn't have to be called porcupine. I do think that if it was the pantyhose waltz, that it would have been <laughs> JB's alter ego abjure. <laughs> Could be. But I mean, if that's the only thing that they uh, changed, then no need. You know, I kind of uh, want to hear it now. So, yeah, that's, let, let, let's hear that, JB. Okay, yeah. The pantyhose waltz. Um, when, when Rachel was listening to it in the background, she started singing Tennessee waltz over it because it's practically the same song. Yeah, it's got the same melodic shape for sure. Absolutely. And the fact that you said it was pleasant, that was precisely what I had in my notes was that word is it's pleasant. Um, nothing really to complain about. It seems like it's probably a nice little lullaby for John and Dory's young one. And um, yeah, it's it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very pretty. Very pretty. The only extra note that I had that was different than that is something that I noticed about the guitar solo. That, can I talk about guitar yeah, solos? Yeah, please. If you're doing a guitar solo like that one with a lot of sustained notes in it, you want the sustain to do something, a little bit of vibrato or some kind of movement to it, uh, you know, with a tremolo or a chorus or like whatever, you know, put some kind of effect on it or delay or something that makes a little bit of movement. And the reason why I noticed that all the time is that I was called out on this like a bunch of years ago by someone who's much older and, and more experienced who basically listened to me do a guitar song and was like, those notes are all great, except for the fact that when you hold one note and sustain it, and you don't do anything with it, it kills the feel. And in this particular song, I noticed with those long sustained guitar notes in the sustain, where it's not, there's no vibrato or anything going on in there, it sort of made it die for me a little bit. Wow, that's interesting. I remember for our deep subreddit entry, Chumpy and I traded off guitar solos, and, and they were also like not distorted. They were, you know, kind of clean tone guitar solos. They were solos. DI signals, right. dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then and the John true Benjamin, test. <laughs> and John Benjamin mentioned that you know we probably could have used another take. And uh, when I heard him doing this clean tone guitar solo, that's all that I could think about. <laughs> and uh, but it's, it's it's fine. I didn't mind it. It fit with the song. It's good. Uh, do but, as I yeah. say, not as I do. <laughs> says JB. <laughs> Yeah. Now I love bad-mouthing him now that we just had him on. Yeah. Just had him on last week. And that was your half of the solo that he thought could have used another take. He didn't say anything about mine. So. Yeah. How dare he? Yeah. How could he possibly? Yeah. No. Was... By the way, in Shark Tornado, the other two names, of course, he couldn't remember Damien and Mai's names for it. But uh, Damien was Gutter and I was Finns. 
And they had Sharknado figured out before Sharknado was a thing. I feel like they should get royalties on that. Yeah. I wish they'd used that song in the movie and paid us for it, but you know. Ryan, make sure that there's a link to Sharknado in the non-existent show notes. <laughs> That's right. I'm keeping a non-existent tab of all of our non-existent show notes. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add that. All right. So next we've got the John Benjamin Band synth pop song. Long ago, when the world was new, I was practically naked. I was styling too. But Brother Bear came along and OMG tried to eat me. I barely got away, scampered up a freaking tree. Next day, hanging out in a dangerous bush, I got poked by stickers in my little naked tush. I said to myself, self, you know what this is? It's the perfect solution to my existential crisis. I am a porcupine, is on to die. A porcupine, family is just to die. Porcupine stick Definitely a Wikipedia song. Oh, without a doubt. And it seems like he's trying to go back to the well of the uh, what we need more of a science style thing. Stylistically, it seems like before what we need more of a science by JB, he wasn't doing that sound as much. This is kind of a return to that for me, I thought, where he's going for that fun sort of vibe. Right. And the way he was doing the vocal harmonies and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And his harmonies are on point as usual. The the choir ending was fantastic. And when JB is at his best, he will normally throw in some humor in there. And the don't get too close or I'll poke you in the nose made me laugh out loud as well. It's a fun song. The only thing I really thought was when the song started, I was hoping it was going to be an homage to Compressor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's what it sounded like to me. And then he you know, takes a left turn into JB land. At the choir ending... Like, there's some weird reverb thing that's going on in there that makes it sound like it's kind of reverb feeding back into reverb or something. It, I thought it sounded interesting, but a little bit strange. He does one of those uh, sort and of... And the, the counterpoints that are going on there. Oh, it's the counterpoints that have the weird reverbs on them? I don't remember exactly right now, but what I remember hearing is that there's like a couple different main harmony vocal lines, and then there's counterpoint lines, right? Yeah. And I think it's the counterpoint lines with the reverb on them that that's what you're hearing. Okay. It's, it sounded cool, but a little bit like, wow, I can't make out exactly what they're saying. Did I, you know, take drugs and forget? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Always. I think he mentioned on the boards that this is the first time that he's tried like a dubstep style drop, which happens, I guess, right around 310. And... Is it weird that I didn't notice it? <laughs> well, it's not super effective. Like, it's got this kind of swoopy pan sound that goes from right to left. That sounds pretty cool. But it doesn't have a big impact because right when the drop hits, like you expect it to land with some energy, like like to land on a big downbeat with some heavy hitting drums or something. But it just sort of sizzles into this kind of not very interesting instrumental section. So, yeah. Well, the only thing I'll say about that is that this song, while I loved a lot of things about it, is not one of the songs that I paid a lot of attention to when it came back around on the playlist. Yeah, I'm not going to be requesting it at a song fight live. It doesn't stand with the best material that JB's done, but it's not bad. I mean, it's it's one of the top contenders for this fight. Yeah. 
I'm also going to sort of disagree with one of our basic assumptions here. I don't think this is a Wikipedia song. I mean, he's kind of making up his own lore for porcupines, and that's funny and cool. But the only Wikipedia parts are the family, which is the Aerith, uh, well, I can't even pronounce this, Aerith is on today and the uh, Histrasidae or whatever. I, I, I'm probably butchering the pronunciations. But those are both separate families of different kinds of porcupines. So, And that's the only thing in here in this whole song that I could pick out other than maybe their ability to curl up into a ball. But uh, Gotta but yeah. go fast. Oh, that's uh, hedgehogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and their ability to, you know, collect coins and uh, <laughs> rings. Yeah, rings too. Rings? Oh yeah, rings. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, I'm trying to talk video games with the master. I apologize, yeah, for bringing that up. I've I've heard that you're not exactly a big fan. So. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's it's more kind of like a rehab thing, I guess. Yeah. Not not really rehab, but, uh, uh, but no. with the ET high score, I literally just thought, wouldn't it be funny to aim for the best score on the worst game? <laughs> that's that's where it started okay have you since then developed a love for the game i actually think that it is highly underrated because the fact is the guy that made that game was only given five and a half weeks to make the game this is all about atari having corporate greed because they got the et license and normally they would give their developers four to five months to make a game and they only gave howard scott warshaw five and a half weeks to make something. So the fact that he even ended up getting a completed product put together at all is nothing short of miraculous. I don't think it's anywhere near the worst game on the system. It's definitely glitchy. It's buggy. If he'd had a little more time with it, it might be better. It's very hard to understand at a time when you had games like Space Invaders, you're moving left and right and shooting. This has a map. It has an inventory system. It's very, very deep for a game that only has a controller and a single button to work with. It's surprisingly complex for the era so yeah i don't hate it but did i really want to play it for eight and a half hours no no i did not only to find out that the guy whose score i beat was a cheater uh, oh that's gotta hurt yeah well no see todd rogers and boy i'm really derailing this but this guy todd rogers you're, was you're dead naming this man yes gonna, uh, <laughs> since you killed him <laughs> yeah right yeah uh, while you talk about this, I'm going to go make a cup of coffee. Okay, understandable. I will be incredibly uh, brief, hopefully. I'm going to try to anyway. Um, the guy's name was Todd Rogers. Um, people now call him Fraud Rogers because he submitted thousands of scores, and they proved that many of them were absolutely impossible. So all of his scores got removed. Once his score for E.T. was removed, the closest to mine is about one-tenth of my score now. Wow. Cool. So it's... you won't have to go back to the well for that one? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> now, was I imagining it or did I see like a documentary about this video? Game? There is. And specifically, they thought that um, there was a video game crash in 1983 that mostly came about as a result of everybody and their brother making games for the Atari, including people who had no business making games for it because they didn't really know what they were doing. So the market gets flooded with really, really crappy games and computers are like usually the better way because you can do homework and video games on them and so the market's flooded with terrible stuff atari had supposedly buried a bunch of yeah. unused cartridges in a landfill in new mexico <laughs> yeah yeah and that was an urban legend for years only it turned out it was absolutely true they found the spot where it was and they dug up a fair amount of cartridges and stuff that atari threw in a landfill 
<laughs> yeah. I remember. I thought I was imagining it, but yeah, no. So no, Atari, Atari Game Over is what that one's called. So I, I could keep going on on this, so I'm going to not do that. <laughs> that yeah, sounds well, like a good segue. Yeah, oh what yeah. More do we, what more do we need to know about John Benjamin Band's Porcupine than <laughs> <laughs> than a landfill well, of Atari but, cartridges? But I can tie it back to JB. Um, he and I did a song together called Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Twenty Six Hundred. That's the one. Yep, that's the one. Well, that was during Song Fight Live Spokane that we started writing that, and then for years I put it off, and he kept bugging me like, "When are we going to finish that song? When are we going to finish that song? When are we going to finish that song?" <laughs> and then years later, I said, "Okay, fine, we're going to go ahead and finish it." There's a line in the song talking about, "No, I don't want to play ET. What are you trying to do to me?" And originally the line was, "Just because your mom paid forty bucks for it." But then I had gotten the E.T. world record, so JB changed that lyric without my knowledge to, <laughs> I don't want to play E.T., what are you trying to do to me? Just because you have the, the record. record. That was his doing, uh, and uh, that was a fun, pleasant surprise when he sent me that vocal. Yeah, cool. I got hundreds of internet votes for posting that to Reddit. You're welcome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think it's about high time that we moved on to J.P. Nicholas. Is Mo back yet? Oh, do we have to. <laughs> <laughs> we do, we do. Gotta cover them all. We're contractually obligated. Porcupine, it's great to finally meet you. I'm the thoughts from across those tall stocks. What can there be about? But Porcupine has never met a thing from the night it wouldn't bite a water sight. So wise to walk away. Invitations fly. From the box who marks his prey With words of admiration Hoping to meet someday This is a mess. <laughs> it's such a mess. I'm so sorry, but it's a Listen, mess. When, when the, the bass line starts, like the first like two seconds of the bass line is great. <laughs> two seconds. And then it goes to finish the riff, and then the finish of the riff is like already like it's a it's a problem, you know. There are rhythm issues all over this thing. I can hear what's intended, but the song is just all over the place in a bad way. And I'm wondering if it is no sense of rhythm or if it's a latency issue. I would prefer to think that it's the latter and that there's some sort of a latency issue where this guy is playing it in time and the software is just not correcting for that because. It is. It's completely just all over the place. The soloing actually was fairly solid, but it's so buried in the mix that you can barely hear it. And this does not pass what I would call the friend test, which is if I play the song in front of my friends, there are two good things that can happen. One, they don't notice it. Two, they do notice it, but they ask who it is because they like it. Or there's the other part of the friend test when it fails, which is what the hell are you listening to? This would get a what the hell are you listening to? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, this this is one of the worst ones of the round. Yeah, the okay, rhythm. Well, well, let's, go let, ahead, Ryan. Let's say something. Yeah, let's say something nice about it. Please. Uh, what he's aiming for is not bad. And some yes. of that guitar work That's correct, is, yeah. is impressive. And if the guitar work were a little cleaner in some of those parts, the riff parts, it would be pretty cool. But I think you're right. You know, the, the messiness of it and the lack of polish really, really detracts. And some of these mixing choices and stuff were like that distorted guitar way in the background. Uh, so strange. But yeah, it sounds like static. It's like, yeah. oh, that's a guitar. 
Yeah. And and then the vocal delivery is kind of unconfident and also yes. not great. And that's that's always a problem. But also then the mix of the vocal track. What What's up with that? Well, I, it sounded to me, uh, I mean, it's entirely possible that I'm just, I'm talking about my, actually, I am talking about my butt, but that's I'm neither here nor there, <laughs> is that uh, it sounds like he was recording the vocal really late at night in a house where he couldn't be loud. Yeah. Okay, oh, so yeah. this could be like an Octothorpe Is It Cold situation, like where Spud um, of Octothorpe recorded the song Is It Cold, where he was trying not to wake up his family, but on top of it, he could not hear the music. He had to guess where <laughs> the music was as he delivered his vocal based on what it looked like. Maybe that is what is going on here, and that's why the rhythm is so completely off. Finally, Nick, finally we get a description of why there was an unpolished Octothorpe track. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we get some reason for that. that, It's one of my favorites, though. That's going to be the like the next liner note if they ever get around to making an album again. You know how they love to take like people talking shit about them and putting it in their liner notes. (laughs) In the liner notes, (laughs) it's going to be on there. They did that on their first album, yeah. But yeah, it sounds like he was right on top of the mic and trying not to be loud, and then as a result, like overcompensated that by mixing it into like airplane levels. We, we've said this before on the podcast. Fuck your neighbors. All right. <laughs> Fuck your neighbors. What have right? they ever done for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outside of that one time, they gave you all the lemons from their lemon tree and cooked you a pie and <laughs> gave you some cookies and jumped your car when it was dead. Uh, other than that, <laughs> what have they done for you? you know? This is oddly specific, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, he just needed more takes on those vocals. And yes. you know, they're bone dry, too, which doesn't help. And, you know, just maybe a little tuning here and there would have been sweet. One thing I did notice is that there are places that the lyrics sound pretty interesting. Like there's this line, doubles his rebuttal and he won't be subtle, which I, oh, yeah. which I thought was cool. There's another like marches in darkness in the midnight hours. So there's some good lyrical stuff. And I can't play, you know, gypsy jazz licks like he can do, which I thought was pretty impressive. It's just yeah. that the timing was just all it's over the place. exactly right. The ideas are there. It's just the execution that really you can have an execution of a song be a little bit off and not have it ruin the enjoyment of the song. But this is not that. It's just it's a mess. It's a hot mess. Yep. Yeah. Better than a cold mess. Yes. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's move on to Lichen Throat. I'm a Watch out for my quills, watch out for my quills, I don't wish you will, but watch out for my quills, see me in the forest, see me on the streets, see you stepping backwards every time we meet. So he's got a banjo this time. Oh, it's yes. A sample banjo, it's not a banjo. <laughs> no, he's playing a banjo. Shut up, Ryan, shut your mouth. <laughs> Yeah. And he's playing those strings, too, and it sounds great. Aren't banjos supposed to make songs sound happy? Sometimes they Maybe. make them sound depressing and sad. Yeah. That banjo long. from Deliverance is pretty happy. <laughs> there's there's that, yeah. You know, one of the things I noticed right off is that there's a whole sung section in this song that sounds like it's in tune. Like, uh, <laughs> see me in the forest and see me on the streets. I see you stepping backwards every time we meet. 
that whole thing is sung in tune. And I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Um, I would say half of it's devoid of pitch. It's it's not even like it's sharp or flat. There just there is no pitch to it. Yeah. Well, Lycan Throat has been a thing in Songfight for uh, maybe at least years a year now. now. Yeah. 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 Sure. So it's kind of like we we've been kind of following the evolution, sliding so, scale sort of thing. That makes sense. Yeah, we're we're really happy when we hear something like this because it does show some real progress. I mean, the vocal melody is more elaborate than we're used to hearing from him, and that's always a good thing. And he tends to write some of the best lyrics in Songfight. Oh, yeah. So uh, we, we hear this, and it's like we want to talk up the really good stuff. We tend to. and That's good. Know, yeah. Yeah. And would I be a jerk if I said bargain store yes. Leonard Cohen? No, that's, that's perfectly <laughs> legit. Bargain yeah. store Leonard Cohen. Like, I, I mean, take the Leonard Cohen part as a compliment. And, absolutely, because uh, the yeah. songwriting is not bad at all, and and it's not too far off. Like I can hear what he's going for again, but yeah, the uh, the pitch is it's questionable at the very least. Yeah, yeah I was and listening the, to a a podcast the other day. Do you guys ever listen to the Guitar Wank no. podcast? No, it has Bruce Foreman, who's one of the world's best jazz guitar players, bebop style, and Scott Henderson, who is you know famous for being a jazz fusion guitar player. But anyway, they interview their friends and like, and there's an Australian involved in it who's like sort of the host. But uh, they were talking to a guy who is a music critic uh, a couple podcasts ago, and one of the things that they were talking about was how the advent of the technology has made it so that it used to be that you would have songwriters. And then you'd have singers. And then they became singer-songwriters. And now the technology has gone to the point where you just have, like, all these one-person bands. Right. And there's a certain extent to which that can be not ideal, right? It could be better if you have, like, someone who's actually their talent is songwriting, and they go find a singer to work with. Who or a really guitarist. Play. Thanks, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> you play guitar just fine. <laughs> yeah, just fine. Just barely. Yeah, well, you know, I wasn't going to say anything too bad in public. <laughs> but, you know, like Chris Christopherson is a great songwriter, but he yeah. is not a great singer. Yeah. There's also a difference between like what your bass level is, right? Like I try not to sing on anything as well because I know what I sound like. You guys won't. The, <laughs> uh, but uh, some people either they don't have that option yeah, or they, absolutely. They used, to, they used to not have that option. But now with the internet, it, like, you, you definitely have that option. You just have to go find people. So I thought the backing track for this song was really cool. Yes. You know? And it was very catchy. And it had like, good sounds to it. And it had a good feel to it. And what would happen if you know, Glenn sang on it? What would happen if... Uh, well, I just blew my chance for that. If Val sang on it. <laughs> at this point, at this point uh, he's not going to like me much. I'm pretty sure if you give him a free copy of E.T. the video game. Ah, <laughs> really make an enemy out of them. There you go. Well, you know, uh, I think that Lycanthrope could do a lot to improve this. If he would just fix, like, the important pitches. Like, you yes. know, pitches on verses are, yeah, you can, they come and go. You're not worried too much about them. But, like, on the chorus, it goes, I'm a porcupine. I'm a porcupine. And the pine is flat, like, almost every time. And it just yeah. kills it when it's on an important word like porcupine, the title of the song. And it's on the chorus. You hear it all the time. If he would have just gone into Melodyne and sharpened up the pine <laughs> note right yeah. there, that would have gone a <laughs> long way to making it better. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. The other thing about it is which beat you're on. If you're on a strong beat, that note needs to be good it needs to be really good if it, you're on a weak beat 
you can sort of get away with a little bit more. I'll just add a quick comment about the lyrics. You know, I, I like the quirky, dysfunctional love song type stuff. And uh, that aspect in these lyrics is cool and neat. Absolutely. I, yeah, I always like that direction. And that's like 90% of all Jerkatorium songs anyway. I think it's a really good take <laughs> on the title. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Absolutely. In that regard, I don't hate it. I do think that that's the Leonard Cohen part of it is there's clearly some good song writing going on. Sharpen up the performance part of it. And yeah, it, it could be really good. Yeah, that always comes back down to everyone's personal, I guess we're using the word rubric now, about how they evaluate the whole thing in a song fight, right? How much of it is songwriting fight and how much of it is arrangement fight and how much of it is production fight and mastering fight or like whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. How much of it is guitar solo fight? Almost none. <laughs> Sadly. Unless you talk to Glenn Yeah. <laughs> well, just wait until Glenn and I get together and put the guitarists thing back to, into <laughs> the play. That was Sven Mullet the first time around. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but um, I'm pretty sure we can get all three of us. I don't know. Does Sven still make music? Do you know? Glenn? I don't remember offhand. I, I know that he has a song called Ah, that is one of my favorites. But yeah, I don't know for sure if he's still doing his thing or not. Yeah, that was a few years ago, though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Because I remember we started the guitarist thing just because he had just gotten a new guitar and I had just gotten a new guitar. So, you know. That's obviously, a good reason to do it. Yeah. Obviously, things had to happen. But uh, what was I saying? Rubric. Rubric. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole question of like how you weigh those different things in the fights. And these last couple of songs, the, the JP song and this song, are sort of like, you know, test cases for how you weight those different elements. Because the JP song, I mean, it, the production of it is a mess. But there are interesting, good songwriting elements in there. I think the Lycan Throat song is probably a really good song, actually right there i think the writing of it is probably pretty solid and the production for the most part is fine it's just the voice or do you guys think it's more than that no i think it's the tunefulness or lack thereof that's really the problem i think you know lycanthrope has yeah exactly he can do leonard cohen or what who's the guy from joy division Ian Curtis. yeah yeah he's got that ian curtis deep voice too i think the backing music and maybe even some of the vocals are a little I, I don't want to sound mean, are a little devoid of soul. Yes. Too, you know, like there's no, there's no well, swing. There's his no... name is Lycanthrope. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's yeah. going to be goth. I guess so. I, I never really put him in that category, but now that I think back, yeah, maybe, but I, that might just be his voice. We, you know, we've had him on the podcast and that is not an affectation. That's how he sounds. Yeah. He's this era's uh, Obscurity. There was an old school song fighter named Obscurity that was doing that same sort of thing. And then what he oh, yeah. did is, is he worked with Hoblet and together they were Bloodberries and Cream. And that was exactly what happened was Obscurity made the music. He handed off the singing duties to Hoblet and it worked really well. So maybe there's something like that in Lycanthrope's future if there isn't already a project like that that I'm not aware of. Yeah, he does this collaboration with Demetrodon where he does the music and the other guy does the singing. And uh, Dave, I think his name is, and it works out pretty well. See, there you go. Perfect. Okay, well, in that case, like, it's sort of a question of, yeah, maybe there's you know, ways to improve the vocal performance through technology, of course, and that can be good too. But then there's also like, you know, just sort of like figuring out what your lane is and knowing how to stay in it in terms of what you're able to do at the moment. I don't know if this conversation has been had about Lycanthrope before because I haven't really been part of it, but um, his voice is actually not that bad, right? No, not at all. Like, it's just a question of like trying to push it in ways that it doesn't really want to go yet. 
right? Because it maybe takes a little bit more training or you do like scales every day and it doesn't take that long to increase your range or increase your power or whatever you know, objective you want to achieve with your voice if you really want to. But until then, you sort of have to find your lane and stay in it. I remember my vocal coach would say, if you would just do scales every day, you would suck a lot less. <laughs> I'm like, no, and, that and, sounds like work, dude. I don't want to really work at it. Just make me better. If nothing else, maybe take a few more vocal takes if you aren't already doing like 100 of them or whatever. You know, just try a few more edits, maybe. I don't know. Hey, Glenn, when you do like a song in three or four hours, how many vocal takes are you doing? Oh, you know, um, it, it depends. It greatly depends. But uh, I'll normally end up singing it twice all the way through where one of them is the main vocal and then I'll do a second one underneath it. But if I notice that I just sang it and it sounded bad, then I'm going to go back over that and take it section by section. I heard that was actually the way MC Frontalot does it. Is he'll just yes. do one line at a time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so it depends on the song. But sometimes I'll be on like my 50th vocal take for that one spot. Because like, no, nah, that doesn't sound right. No, that doesn't sound right either. And you just punch in the spots. Like you listen back to it and say, okay, these three sections of the song, I need to go back and punch in and do a better job on the vocal in those spots. I don't know if Lycanthrope's already doing that sort of thing, but I would be interested to hear what it would sound like if uh, he did. I know he's got Melodyne, so that's a good first step. <laughs> there you go. Part of the reason why we're spending so much time talking about it is because, like, we hear something that's there. There's promise, yes. You know, there's something that's there that's really good. Just unfortunate that we're not in a room with Lycanthrope talking about it because it yeah. would go a lot faster. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's move on to the lowest bidder. Who's going to stay the night with me? It's a hostility of hostility. nice surprise this was honestly the music was fantastic it's funny that you mentioned elliot smith earlier because i felt like the vocal was elliot smith on the vibe and the music was not it would be like passion pit or someone remixing elliot smith is what i would say i would say if there's one complaint about it though is that the vocals sound like they lack a bit of confidence and they start going flat around the middle of the song outside of that though all of the tools are here 
to make really, really solid songs. This is easily one of the best songs of the fight. And there are some of us, you know, some of the song fighters are always going to be making music as a hobby. This sounds like someone who could potentially get an audience if they keep at it. Um, I would say that if I'm voting for one song, this is a solid contender for my vote. Yeah, Yeah, I thought this song was really good, too. My real comment, because I'm looking at my notes for it, and I don't have anything written down for it, which meant that I spent all of my time listening to the song and like not thinking critically about it. And that's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is another very sexual song from the lowest bidder, which is also very kind of personal and brave and unusual for song fight. And it's always kind of hard for me to tell how song fight prudes and poindexters are going to react to this sort of a thing. But I thought song fight prudes. I thought everybody was, (laughs) this is a fairly new fighter too, right? Like they've not been around long. Yeah, yeah, this is probably like maybe, what, uh, three to five? This is like the third to the fifth or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, okay, so he's been on FOM quite a bit. I think he's a FOM long-timer at the February album writing month community. Young guy, do we know? Um, Hard to say. Okay, no, because uh, my thought on this is we had a song fighter named Carol Cleveland Sings who was really fantastic. Oh, and yeah, they- I remember they would end up becoming member of the Spinto band. Like some of the songs became like the Spinto band and they're phenomenal. I feel like that's exactly what we are hearing here with the lowest bidder. It's good as it sits. And if you go back and hear those Carol Cleveland songs, versions of Spinto band songs, they're really, really, really good, but they got polished and became phenomenal. And that's what I think is going to potentially happen with the lowest bidder here. This is someone to watch. Yeah, Jimmy Hat by the Carol Cleveland Sings turned into, oh, God damn it, I can't remember. I, I actually posted it on the boards, but they actually made a video out of it, which is really, really cool, too. They did like a little kitty instruments video, which turned oh, out really great. And, very uh, nice. Yeah. So check out Spinto Band, Carol Cleveland Sings, Jimmy Hat. Uh, God damn it, I'll, I'll edit it in because <laughs> 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 I can't remember the title, but uh, check the boards out for it. The lowest uh, bidder is making songs that are of that quality to me previous lowest bitter songs had huge problems with the mix you know like i think he wants the mp3 to sound super super loud so he jacked the volumes way up and so the vocal track and more would be constantly distorted and clipping and just sounding awful and you know thank goodness that is mostly absent from this song there's a couple of points where it still kind of is overdriven but it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to so you know it's a little distracting when it does, but it's still a huge improvement, and I like this song a whole lot. Yeah. The lyrics are a little odd, but on the other hand, I, you know, I do know married couples, both gay and straight, who do that sort of thing, where they both have separate bedrooms, and you know, they go make babies in one bedroom, and then the other one goes to their own. And it's just how they work better together, which uh, it seems unimaginable to me, but you know, people do whatever they want, so it's all good. I love the intro to this, the way it kind of comes on. It starts out really quiet and then ramps up. It's almost like a fade in. And there are these cool automated filter sweeps that I think are on the master bus that just were, you know, everything gets filtered one way and then sweeps back the other way. It sounds really cool. I love those pizzicato string plucks on the chorus. So good. There are a couple really effective drops that happen that just, you know, sound amazing. And then on the chorus, like, there's this line, oh boy, I want your love. And the boy is really stretched out really long. And I think he kind of scoops into it or something, just the way it works melodically. It just sounds very, very cool. This was one of my favorite songs. It probably is my number one song this time around. Chumpy and I see an eye to eye on something. Awesome. You could have seen eye to eye on a 
a fair amount of stuff. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we got to balance that out. There you go. But Ryan and Mo will probably be on the same page. There you go. I, I think it's entirely like state driven, right? Yeah. Washington State and California. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's that's why. Right. Yeah. True. We got to start taking a, a stronger pro stance on um, JP Nicholas now. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're we're in California. We're just gonna sit around and smoke weed and like go to the beach. <laughs> hey, they got that in Washington State too. So. Yeah. Oh. But do they have beaches? They have good beaches. Not I wouldn't have... say good beaches. We have beaches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, fair Fe- enough then. Featuring Bette Midler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let us move on to Paco Del Stinko. Skibbity dumbo ba doodle da. How do you see when you're stuck in the middle? Stuck in the middle. What's behind the screen? What's at the middle? Come and let me I love about the Paco del Stinko MP3s is under genre they all say crud rock, and this Heck is yes. this is some fucking awesome crud rock right here. <laughs> His energy is great as always. Yep, I love just the attitude and the snotty sounding backing vocals. Uh, you know, it makes sense. They're talking about the Three Stooges, right? This is all just kind of fun, snotty, irreverent rock. I, I love well, it. I- he mentions Larry and Mo, uh, no relation, I'm assuming, and then, uh, but no Curly. No Curly. Maybe Curly is the singer. Could be. The Curly I, is you. And he yeah. mentions of Shemp. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear any, but yeah, no, I, I love what he does with the backing vocals, and the backing vocals change, and they're unexpected, kind of the way that he does it. It's not the typical oohs and ahs throughout. He really mixes it up, and it's great. I like the changes in rhythm and everything, too, where there's very precise, intentional-sounding rhythm changes in there. And a great guitar solo, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the solo was really perfect for the song. It was like, it really fit right in there. It was sort of like like the punk version of an Ace Frehley solo. Reminiscent of the Dickies, for me. Uh, oh, yeah. In a good... Yeah, that's yeah. fair. I, I like the way at the end of the solo, the solo mirrors the rhythm guitar parts right at the end, and they're just all in unison. Sounds super cool. This is uh, clearly a veteran who has been around and has learned what to do and what not to do. And uh, yeah, it's I don't even have much in the way of notes outside of that. It, it's a pretty good song. Yeah, we've mentioned this before. When when it's a good song, it's kind of hard to say anything about it. It's, it's just just really good. I wouldn't have done anything different. It's it's nice. There's this Pogue song that has the line, uh, there were uncles giving lectures on ancient Irish history 
the men were all telling jokes and the women, they got frisky. By five o'clock in the evening, every bastard there was pisky. So he rhymes pisky <laughs> with whiskey, which is, you know, not a word. And he does the same thing with tarantula and substantula, which, which is pretty I kind of love that, though. I love that. <laughs> you, you can make up words. It's part of your, you know, creative license. So use that to yeah. the fullest. Before even the songs were posted, I think Paco posted these lyrics and <laughs> lit up the boards uh, already. Yeah. Yeah. Von Borton, you know, came in and said, okay, well, there's a vote right there, even before the song was posted. So. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty safe it. vote. All right. Should we move on to the Panacotta Army? I feel like it's a good time for it. Can imagine your time. Everything to you So black or white Porcupine You don't mean to be unkind nice soothing pleasant song you know it's a judicious use of synth in the background i thought it was great singing voice and you know i'm always hoping for harmonies and backing vocals but i didn't miss them in this song you know he really carries this song really well on his own with his with his voice there are there are harmonized mandolins so you don't need harmonized backing vocals that must have been it how does that work with mandolins? I know with guitars it's guitarmonies. What would you call it with mandolins? Is that I don't think there's a mandolomides. Yeah, it's it's a little oh. more awkward. It's called yeah. bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> solid point. I would say that the chord structure was fantastic. It's a pretty damn solid song throughout, and uh, lovely lead guitar parts throughout. They were very tasty on the uh, lead guitar. The string noise bothered me. Oh, I didn't notice that. Really? I yeah, it was. It's like the only thing I wrote down. <laughs> oh, there you go. There was a lot of string noise just from changing chord positions. Yeah, I heard that too. It was really distracting for me. I definitely heard all of the things that you guys are talking about, the, all the good things about it. But, you know, sometimes you just get something in your head and you can't get it out. And for me, it was the string noise. That's fair. I noticed it a lot more when I was listening on crappy earbuds, but it kind of went away a little bit when I had my full headphones on. How did you know about my crappy earbuds? <laughs> <laughs> gonna say I, did, I didn't really clock that uh string noise uh did it like squeaks like yeah uh, like squeaks every breath you take squeaks and stuff like that or yeah hmm. but even more so okay it's almost on every chord change too so it, it became really noticeable to me yeah it might have been the fact that i wasn't using good headphones it's possible perhaps it's just the microphone is super super close up yeah yeah i, I didn't get it didn't want to piss uh, off I'll... his neighbors while recording the guitar part <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck your neighbors <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm catching I, on. I, re- I really love the chord changes on the chorus. Like, the chorus gets sort of um, melancholy, right? And it just sounds a little bit sad. Some of those chord changes are really pretty and really sad. 
And um, yes. I, I don't know enough about music theory to know exactly how that worked, but it's oh, Mo will right. take over for that. Mo, Mo knows all the music theory. Yeah, but I didn't take this song apart, so I can't really tell you. Ah, okay. Yeah, definitely some minor key shit happening here. I mean, if you want to give me like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Quite a run. Uh... <laughs> the only other note that I had about this song was that I felt the vocal phrasing was a little bit on the nose, just rhythmic phrasing. And what I have written down here is that like I wanted to hear how Bowie would have done it. Because if you listen to like a lot of Bowie, especially later in his life when he's like, you know, has made his money and doesn't give a fuck anymore. Every vocal performance that he does is phrased in a way that's motivated by the lyrics. And so he will extend words or he'll put emphasis in different places. And it's all about emphasizing the poetry. Right. The I lyrics. hear exactly what you're talking about. I have a song called Over the Ocean. When I sing the word yeah. ocean, I make it really long. And like I hold the note for a long time because it's the word is ocean and ocean is large. So I make the note large, like where it's, you know, intentionally. Like I think there's a term for that that I'm not remembering. But yeah. um, it's like and verbal the, verbal painting or something like that. You yeah, know? it adds emphasis to the lyric when everything's not delivered the same way. Yeah. Right. Like you can feel it a little bit. And I wanted to hear a little bit of that because I felt like the lyrics were good, you know, and I just felt like they could have been performed to a higher potential. OK. I think there's a lot that song fighters could learn from studying poetry, like, you know, emphasizing strong beats and weak beats and knowing what I am's are and figuring out how to align things on beats. I think there's a lot to know there. I know that I certainly have a lot to learn there. Even just a, a bigger emphasis on syllables, because that comes back to that shoehorning thing where you've come up with some sort of a melody that fits really well with seven syllables, and then you're throwing 13 of them in there yeah. and completely ruining the melody that you've set up. That happens quite often. There is a way to make it work if you want to, but you have to know that you have to do it. Yeah, just even recognize that it's a thing. Right. I think we're in a good spot to move on to somebody named Seth. You're a tough, foul-mouthed bitch. At least that's the only face you show. You're not tame or soft or weak. Like the girl that I used to know. Well, that girl's gone and in her place. There's a woman who will feel no pain. She's alone. But she feels safe As long as everybody stays away But hurting everyone else Doesn't make it better No hurting everyone else Won't make it better It's so hard When you try To be safe Or keep That's partially because there was already someone named Seth in the archives. Rest in peace, uh, Seth Gibbs, a.k.a. Brother Machine. One of the great song fighters. Oh, my goodness gracious. That guy yeah. was phenomenal. He just died at the age of, what, 36 from cancer. And it's far, far, far too young. He was something special. 
Well, I listened to a lot of his songs because of the Haxero that happened as a result. Yes, yes. I also saw the stuff that you posted to YouTube from some of those early song fight live sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one that um, happened in Austin. I met him in Austin in 2004. And, um, you know, that was the only time that I ever shared a stage with him or hung out with him. But my God, was he a dynamo. And he, by all accounts, just this super nice guy who would open up a studio to bands. He'd record them. And when it came time to pay, um, it would just be, yeah, whatever you can afford, man. It's cool. You know, yeah, just very legit. So, unfortunately, naming, you know, somebody named Seth, uh, big shoes to fill on, on the name. That's that's what I'm getting at, is that they couldn't just put Seth because there's already a Seth that was in the archives yeah. of Songfight just called Seth. So, I imagine that may have to do why they uh, named themselves the way that they did. I will say that the uh, lyrics sound pretty bitter. Yeah. Yeah. The hook is decent, though, and the chorus... But I would also say that the vocals are often flat and lifeless. Uh, no dynamics to speak of either. You know, the song starts, the song ends, and there's really no rise or fall. Dynamics, that sounds like a challenge. Aha, it yeah, it does. It shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you. It shouldn't be. But, you know, that's how far we've come. I mean, I think as judges, I know we're getting a little off course here. We just wanted to hear more fucking dynamics. Yes, and this would be the sort of song that is a reason for that. That makes sense. And I'm sorry to say it, but the ahs were ah, ah, awful. How long did you practice that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's just say that I was uh, cramming for the test and uh, listening to some of these for the first time, like mere moments before we started. So, yeah, I mean, I also wrote down that the ahs needed something to make them better, like a harmony, like harmony thickening. Yeah, yeah, something, something. Yeah, I had the same note, especially coming after the last one, which I thought did really well with just one voice. This one could have used a vocal harmony, uh, some backing vocals somewhere in there. And yeah. just more layering of musical elements. It's just pretty samey throughout. Yeah, it's not a terrible song. Um, there is some potential there that can be worked on. Yeah, I actually like the song. It lost me at the first line. Yeah, you can't hear that word without, you know, thinking about misogyny a little bit. At least I can't. Yeah, I was with you on that, too, and um, I was ready to tune out immediately upon the first line, and Mo and I were talking about this. The first lyric of a song is so incredibly important because you can easily lose your listeners in that first moment. It's like, okay, on to the next. If we weren't taking the time to listen to and review these, I might just be like, okay, I've heard enough. Yeah, oh, exactly. On to the next one. Yeah, I mean, in this particular case, I feel like it's... Because it's supposed to be a device, right? He's like trying to do the thing where I'm going to give you a line and then I'm going to try to subvert that expectation. Yeah. Of the expectation that I gave you in the first line. In the very next line, like he's doing a corrective. But I don't think that that is a strong way to open a song. No, certainly not. And I don't think the uh, concept was completely flawed overall, but it wasn't my favorite. That's for sure. No, I mean, the concept is actually pretty simple. It's like the person who's been hurt before, and so they're like a porcupine. Okay, great. You know, like, fine. But Yeah, it's better than a literal porcupine song. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. There you go. I don't know. I I mean, porcupines love to chump (laughs) you (laughs) up. I don't think you should come down to the porcupine's ability to be romantic. I was sad that there were no references to that episode of Family Feud where it was uh, named something that starts with the word pork and they said, you pine. Like, you know, that 
That was a thing. I never saw that one. Never saw that one. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Name a word that comes after pork. Cupine. Cupine. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, it was um, pretty great. Yeah, but I mean, I felt the lyric in general was like a really on the nose, starting from the first line and then moving right along. And it's just sort of like maybe there's a more subtle way to go about it. Maybe there's a little bit more discovery that you can let your listener do. I don't know. I mean, because maybe that song was written for somebody specific. It sounds like it, it might have been, right? Yeah. And so maybe there's things about it that are, are particular to that situation and that person. And because I don't have that, maybe that's part of the reason why I don't, I don't feel that associated with it. But then that's also a problem, right? Because you, you can write the song for one person, but if you're going to put it out in public like that, hopefully it has more things that other people can identify with. Yeah. And maybe I'm not the audience for it, and that's fine too. Like, it, Absolutely. Totally fine. But I thought that it was just like not another one of these. I was also not the audience for this, though, too. So you're you're not alone in that respect. Yeah. I had one other little technical note is that I thought that the drums sounded pretty good. Like there's a lot of little rolls and nuance to the drums. I just wish it was a little bit louder because I felt like I was struggling to hear the drums in places. But yeah, I thought the arrangement in general was like, I mean, it was OK, but it was just wasn't that interesting. There was nothing special about it. What do you got, Ryan? Anything? Oh, I think we've covered most of it. And I think, you know, with lyrics like this that are critical and accusatory, it's uh, yeah. it's kind of a hard sell. And what I like in these kind of lyrics is a little bit more ambiguity. So I like to be able to think that maybe the person is talking about themselves. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like, Clearly not the case here. Yeah. Like there's a song, who's it by? John Wesley Harding. I haven't listened to the song in ages, but... There's a song by him called You're an Angel. Uh, or no, She's an Angel. It's called She's an Angel. And it's all, you know, she's an angel and you're no good. And he could be talking about, you know, a couple, but he also could be talking about himself. And I really like that. And it's it's really sort of, uh, you know, ambiguous. It's a little, you're not sure exactly who he's attacking in this. And I would have preferred that in this, I think. But instead, it's all, you know, she, she's the problem or the the other person is the problem and, it's and a like, lot of eh. times the person that's doing the pointing in that case may want to look in a mirror yeah they're the problem yep yeah <laughs> so i'm glad that sure. i'm not the only one who got that from that song because that was where my head was as well yeah, yeah it, it's one of those things where like if there's any element of it that's supposed to be satirical or parodic you need to punch up and not punch down it needs yes. to feel it needs to feel like you're punching up and not punching down and this song felt like he was punching down to me. Big time. Yeah. yeah. When Jerkatorium covered Today's the Day, we altered a lot of the lyrics. I had uh, such a hard time with that one because, yeah, I was asked to, to do that as part of a Kickstarter. And ugh, the lyrics, I, I had a real hard time with that. Yeah, no, we, we just changed a bunch of the lyrics because, <laughs> you know, the some of it, the, the part about your sister, that's yeah. kind of rapey. And so we changed yep. that the bitch we changed that totally we, we got rid of that and you know for us anyway we felt a lot better about it but it was still you know kind of like this it was yeah. accusing somebody else of being the problem yeah yeah i'm not never usually a big fan of that myself all right let's move on to thanks for the frisbee echoing voices crossing state lines i hope to be home by summertime of the porcupine 
I love Frisbee's voice and vocal delivery. It's always, you know, really reliably great. And uh, the lyrics are great. I think either there's something weird with the drum track or maybe he like bumped the microphone at like 56 seconds and maybe again at the 64 second mark. It's either like this weird drum machine, bass drum choice in placement or maybe again, it sounds kind of like he's hitting the mic and I can't tell, but it took me out of the song a little bit. Like, you know, part of it is that I'm trying to find something to say about the song during this podcast. But it's like if you're listening and, and you hear this weird kind of like offbeat bump and you're trying to place, well, what the hell is that? And then it, it took me out of the song a little I've, bit. I've Otherwise, definitely been one to do that on accident myself. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't keep it in. <laughs> Usually not. <laughs> Usually not. I will yeah. say that the, the background synthesizers detracted from the song for me. Rather than adding anything, I thought that the synthesizers in the back detracted from me. Very and 80s. this was... Oh, yeah. And this is another one that I felt that was very flatline. No dynamics and no noticeable low end in the song. If there was a bass instrument, I, I certainly didn't hear it. Also, so am I going to steal Chumpy's note? Because I think the song title here is I'm Going to Lose You. It's not Porcupine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I, happened. I've stopped complaining about the title. Okay. <laughs> I'm not that person any longer. I just wish there were some guitars in this song because... I hear pianos and synth like that, and I think, oh, is this a ballad? Please don't be a ballad. Please don't be a ballad. So that's just me. That is To, to me, what? synthesizer what? has its place, and there's times when it can really add to a song, and this is just not one of those times. Wait, what, what do you have against ballads? I don't know. I just don't like ballads. I don't like 80s ballads in particular. We were talking in the last podcast about how, you know, with Song Fight in particular, you're not listening to an album. You're not listening to one track in Thanks for the Frisbee's album, which might be uh, kind of a downbeat track or anything. It's like everything has to be the hit single. So if you get a ballad in Song Fight, then it's not you know, a part of this album that is that Song Fight fight. It's an individual track which you're you know, judging against the other ones. This that's, is a competition. <laughs> yeah, that's an incredibly interesting point. I'd never thought about it that way, but I'd say that you might be onto something with that. I'll, I'll credit that to John Benjamin. He kind of made that point in the last podcast. So yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I missed that part. Sorry. Well, that's because you don't listen to their podcast, Glenn. Well, it's <laughs> a or, hard or pass. My part, yeah, I or, did. My, or you don't I, listen to my part of this podcast that we're currently recording. I listen to episodes that I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> to, to your voice in this episode. Oh, I had a song in this one. I'll listen to their podcast. Hear what they had to say about me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all I, what I wrote down for Frisbee is that I didn't think it was possible to lose the dynamics challenge. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I, on the other hand, I did like the song, you know? It's not like I was listening to it and being like, this is bad. It's not bad at all. There's little interesting things about it. I thought, again, that the vocal phrasing, the, the melodic and rhythmic phrasing could have been a little bit more interesting because he, he does the thing where he gets into his pattern and he's just sort of there. But other than that, and the dynamics thing, maybe like maybe a different master, and I would like it a lot better. One thing I thought is that, you know, you often double vocals to give them contrast to a single vocal line. And yes. they're, they're doubled all the way through here. And call me old-fashioned, but I like my vocal center channel, like my lead vocal center channel. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you, for sure. 
You know, I, in recent history, almost always am doubling my vocal all the way through, but I turn the second one down enough that it sounds more like a reverb sort of thing. It's not a noticeable thing. I mean, I notice it. Of course you do. (laughs) No, but uh, yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, like there are any number of times where you do that and you're trying to get like a little chorusing type of effect as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, there's this whole challenge of it, the technical challenge of like matching the takes. But the problem is when you do that, it's, you know, they, they have this um, story about the Metallica's Black Album. Yeah, the one that one was before? that was mastered really terribly, right? I thought you were going to be telling us a story about a frog and a scorpion. <laughs> well, yes, there was a frog named Bob Rock and a scorpion <laughs> named James Hetfield. <laughs> And and the scorpion said, I'm really used to stinging people in doubles. <laughs> I'm, I honestly, not, I thought I'm the scorpion kidding. said, here I am rocking you like a hurricane myself. But that's, that's maybe a, a ger- different scorpion. If they're German, if they're German. <laughs> so remind me what the thing about this album is. I heard it was... Okay, so- I, there were, there were a bunch of different things, but the thing about the singing in particular was that James Hetfield was used to doubling, tripling, octupling his vocal on earlier Metallica albums, which is one of the reasons why his vocals sound so... I mean, it's a sound, right? Yeah. It's, it's a very particular sound, but it's also not very free. And so the Black Album was the one where they finally let him... Bob Rock was like, I want you to sing like and sing like, like you mean it. And don't worry about doubling, and we'll just go with the one track. And that's when, for better or for worse, depending on how you look at it, James Hetfield then started like thinking he was, you know, Whitney Houston, and <laughs> started doing all the right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like with Metallica songs, he starts doing all the the little vocal frills and like all these like melismas and whatever and that kind of thing. And you can whatever you think about it, but it has to be a choice. It has to be a a specific arrangement choice of yeah. whether or not you're going to go with like one vocal and have it be free and, and go places or if you're going to do the doubling thing where it has to be like 100% locked on and nothing can ever change right i mean and if, in this particular case he's doing the i feel like it's more like the nothing can ever change and i don't like it here yeah and you know i think the panning one hard right and one hard left would have worked better if they were tighter like you wouldn't have heard them maybe right left channel so much if they were more in sync that's right. Because if you're going to do that, you have to commit to it. has to be like spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Like moving little transients around. <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> I have a, a way better so do. I cheat. Sometimes with guitar solos, I'll have to do like a bunch of takes because of the specific thing. You know, like Glenn was talking earlier about punching in with vocals. I just don't like punching in. And yeah. I don't want to punch in if I don't have to. Because I always want to be able to say like, I played that guitar solo. I played it. <laughs> I played the whole goddamn thing. You know, from start to finish. So, you know, if it takes 100 takes, you know, whatever. Right. I've done that. I've actually been the guy that does the 100 takes thing, and I'm going to do it only when I get perfect. But I got to a point where after 100 takes, it's like, you know what? I have to recognize in my case that I'm not that good of a musician. <laughs> so I'm not going to be too proud here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back off and punch in instead. After 10 takes, honestly, like after 10 takes, you lose your energy anyway. Yes. You and maybe probably five do something takes. else for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then come back type. to it. Yeah, you song fight types up long nights trying to get the solo right. I'm <laughs> quoting. Brian, Sorry. you don't have anything to say about guitar solos and being able to play them, do you? 
Oh Me? yeah, you suckers! No, nobody cares if you can play the solo. Who gives a goddamn? Oh, I, know. I know. Yeah, I do one take, and then I just fix it <laughs> with the with the flex editing. You know that actually that that ties into something I'm going to say about the next song. Okay, well let's get to it. Then. Yeah, the next song is Third Cat. You might be a rabbit and you might be a squirrel. You're feeling soft and you taste so. Sweet girl, I have never heard a song on Song Fight that I have noticed where it sounds like the guitarist who is about to play the solo was taken by surprise. Like, you're going to play a solo. I am? Yes. And it's going to be one take and it's going to happen right now. Go. Because that is what it sounds like happened on this guitar solo. It's like, oh, um, taken by surprise. Um, uh, let's play this. How's that? Yeah, cool. We'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, I definitely right. noted the timing of the guitars is weird. It mostly just sounds unintentional. I mean, don't get me wrong, because I think that the song is not bad at all. It's got a good hook for the chorus. And I would say that the vocals are slightly off, but it wasn't bad enough to derail it for me. Rachel disagreed. She said that was awful. Uh, and, yeah, and the bass seems to be a little bit buried in the mix as well. There are a couple of lines at the beginning of the verses where he unnecessarily crams in an extra syllable to the detriment of that line. It's like what we've been talking about with some of these other songs. Hashtag shoehorning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you can get away with a lot during the verses. Again, I said that during the other one too, but you know, if you have a good chorus, you can get away with a lot. This song does have a good chorus, and... I like the bells and whistles too, you know, the effects on the drum machine and the feedback and that stuff. I actually didn't have any notes on the guitar at all. I thought that the one kind of issue that stuck out to me when I was writing some notes on this was that by the time this song rolled around, the whole porcupine love song analogy of an ostensibly loving creature very characteristically causing pain when you get close has been kind of overestablished by then yeah Yeah, it's a tricky title to write for in all honesty i mean well it it can be i would say i was uh, disappointed that we didn't get a fluffy porcupine song but we almost did because the elite inner echelon blood circle almost made something but um (laughs) as usual it didn't come together and to be a member of that group you have to have a june 14th birthday yeah so there's only like 30 song fighters who fit that yeah (laughs) yeah that's about right that's about right I like some of the effects in this song. Like, I really like the synth swell that leads into the chorus. As usual, I just, it's not so much the song I like, it's just all the sounds that are going on that usually does it for me. I'm not sure if I would hum the song or sing along or. The chorus didn't really grab me, but I like the verses, which is usually opposite from how I feel about Third Cat songs. Like, I like the rhythm of the verses, like how the guitar and the drums, they seem to be hitting on offbeats. 
which I thought sounded kind of syncopated and kind of cool. I like trying to figure out how he was making some of those more unusual sounds. Like, you know, if it was a delay effect or if it was a delay going into a reverb or... But yeah, a lot of it was just technical on my notes and not so much about the songwriting, which I felt was just kind of meh. Didn't do a lot for me. That's interesting that you liked the verses better because it was the chorus hook that I I liked better. So uh, we finally disagree on something. Make a note of it, I guess. (laughs) All right. Mission accomplished. Where's the banner? (laughs) (laughs) If only I had an aircraft carrier. Uh, Let's move on to Tim Hinkle, who is the final competitor for this fight. Lonely lad, a lion in wait for an easy meal. Grab a bite and cup of feel. Haven't you heard of that's You had to turn him down When he'd persist Call him a clown He chased you half across When I was listening to this, I just saw in my mind's eye big-eyed children paintings from the 60s. <laughs> I wondered if the chord structure of this song was chosen at random. <laughs> That's because it really seems like it keeps you guessing in a bad way. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to where the song's going. That was my take on it anyway. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't notice that. I felt like, I mean, it was like, it was not mixed well, right? And so it made it really difficult to listen to for me. And I would listen to like a normal song and like, okay, yeah, that chord makes sense. Oh yeah, that chord makes sense. And you can start almost anticipating what the next chord is going to be. To their credit, I didn't know what the next chord was going to be, but it was also like, oh, really? That one? Really? That? Really? How do those even connect? Like, what's the deal there? I would say that, you know, the singing wasn't terrible. Yeah. The arrangement was inoffensive, if not a bit boring. But not much of a rhyme or reason to what was happening. Otherwise, I didn't think. I might have a little more appreciation for the lack of predictability in this song. Sure. Uh, Yeah. One thing I I will say about it, though, is that that drum machine is particularly soulless. Yes. Really just. And then also. Definitely. um, Yeah. I think that the instrumentation got a little monotonous. Like, yes. again, more dynamics would have helped. Yeah. And, like, what was up with that xylophone or this glockenspiel or whatever it was? It, like, hits just a handful of times throughout the song. It just comes in, and you're, like, thinking, like, oh, okay, that's going to provide something for the chorus. And then, but no, it just hits once, and then it's nothing for another four measures. <laughs> so, 
very, very odd. And I think, again, dynamics would have helped it a bit. But I still like the song a lot anyway. You know, I love Tim Hinkle's melodies. And that chord progression, I thought, was, uh, you know, where it put Glenn off. I thought it was interesting and different. And, uh, again, I, I liked hearing something that I wasn't expecting that way. I mean, it's nicer than hearing, like, the same four chords over and over. I will give it that. But um, it's just I never really quite got where they were trying to go with it. It's like, why Why did you choose those? I don't get it. I bet I can pick four chords that you don't want to hear together. Oh, yes. You certainly can. <laughs> I thought no, that the, the phaser sound was a bit relentless. Like, and I'd wondered if, like, did he just put a phaser on a harpsichord? Oh, wait, that's just a really chimey guitar. <laughs> but yeah, like that, that phaser sound goes throughout the entire song, and I got a little tired of hearing it after a while. Yeah, I think, like, a lot of the whole thing with the arrangement or the production choices is that the song basically stays at one level through the whole thing, right? Like, you don't feel like there's a build or anything going from a verse to a chorus. You don't feel... Maybe this is related to the way the chords work because normally, like you think about everything as like a one or a five, right? Yeah. In terms of function, you have tensions or you have home, home or tension, home or tension. And when there's sort of like everything's sort of random and it's sort of like all that way, you don't know how to feel at any point. Like the music isn't telling you how to feel, and maybe that's part of why the song's maybe a little disconcerting in some ways. Thank you for putting it in words. What I was trying to get at. Well, you were using words, too. I mean, just the wrong ones. No, they were pretty good. I mean, you know, like, because I think about it in terms of like, you know how um, you've read that article about Get Lucky, the Daft Punk song. I forget what the name of the guy is who wrote it, but it was on some relatively well-known magazine where he was analyzing it musically. There's only four chords in it. And he was basically analyzing it as a song that has no one chord. Huh. Interesting. Right. So he's saying it's a door. Like, what is it? It's um. B minor, D, F sharp minor, and E, right? So if you have your two major chords of D and E, it suggests to you that it's an A. But the first chord of it is B minor, and you never have an A. So he's suggesting that it's like... Like actually, a modal vamp or something? It's actually Dorian. Yeah. That the, that the song actually tells you that it's Dorian. Because it never has a one chord, so it never resolves to something that's home. F sharp minor is, of course, the six. So that's a substitute for a one chord. And that is the closest that it comes. Oh, but it's right. not really It's in the it's tonic family. Really, right. It's not really quite the same thing as actually going to a strong one chord resolution, right? But I didn't feel like it was like that kind of song either. I told you that Mo knows harmony and uh yeah, music theory. <laughs> he definitely knows his music theory. I almost feel like Glenn wrote the song Today is a song just to complain <laughs> to me. <laughs> The thing about that Daft Punk song that I remember is just, isn't it Nile Rodgers who's playing guitar on that? Yeah. And he's got yeah, that really right. incredible sort of skanky Fender single coil pickup sound. Yep. He plays, his, his guitar is a hardtail, I think it's a 72 maybe or 73 hardtail Fender. Actually, I think it's a, it, like every other really good Stratocaster that's been through history, it's a parts caster. I think it's like a neck and a body from different different nice. years. And it's so like uh, on every famous disco song ever recorded. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what did they count? They said like $2 billion worth of music went through that guitar. You know? Wow. There you go. <clears throat> yeah. Because he's on all those big Madonna hits, uh, all the big Duran Duran hits. Oh, and like, Let's Dance. Notorious. Yeah. And, and oh, Bowie yeah. no, did that. No album. big. 
No big. Yeah. Just, just Bowie. <laughs> plus all the chic stuff. Plus all the like Sister Sledge. We are family. Oh, that's a so that's good. a Nell Rogers and Bernard uh, Edwards song. You know, like they wrote that stuff for everybody and then they recorded it all. And actually, that's another funny story because apparently the label didn't really want to do that song, and they wanted to. Um, if I remember correctly, which I might not be doing right off the top of my head, but it was something like Niall and, and Bernard were like, no, we're doing this song. Just give us anyone. Just give us anyone, and we'll make that song a huge hit. And so they were like, okay, take these girls, because we don't know what to do with them. And they were like, perfect. And they <laughs> gave them that song, and of course it's the huge hit that we all know. Family, yeah. We are family, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Bernard is the bass player, right? That's right. One of the grandfathers of hip-hop in that respect, right? Oh, because he's really that, sampled? Like, yeah, you, like that Good Times bass line. Oh, yeah, right. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, because that's, that's in the Sugar Hill Gang song. Yippee that's to the, right. To the hip, yep. hip hop, you don't yep. stop. You don't stop. But yeah, anyway, what, all I was trying to get to is like th- that's a particular song where the lack of a tonal center like makes sense. It's like deliberate. It's intentional. Right. And I don't, I don't know if that's the same thing with this song. Like I can't tell if it is. All right, I think we're wrapping up. Uh, <laughs> we are done with all of the songs. Let's see. Do you guys want to talk about Neurine? I would like oh, to hear sure. more about how you guys decided to collaborate with vowel sounds because I thought that was super cool. So we just I, talked about who we hate the most. And there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I sent even just after the first round, after message received, I sent a message to Frankie Bigface suggesting that if Frank and Agony Sauce ended up in the end game, that maybe we would collaborate with one another. So it was early on that the concept came together with that. And Frank was like, well, I'm not going to help you win. (laughs) (laughs) But it was still like, you know, it's like, yeah, we'll we'll see if we get to that point. Because I wasn't assuming that we were going to end up in the top two anyway, especially when we decided to start doing the cumulative (laughs) challenge part. Because that was always something that could either work for us or could easily work against us. And we knew that going into it. But it was just like, hey, this will be a fun little challenge. Let's try it. So when it turned out that we were in the top two, I ended up sending a message to Owl about it. And Owl proceeds to send me two screenshots where she and Vom had been discussing the exact same thing. Wow. And so it's this hilarious thought of, okay, well, awesome. It'll be like we're going across the finish line holding hands. Like we're, we both win and we both lose. And so that's how that part of it came together. And then we, we started a messenger chat and I had a really busy week and um, <laughs> I really wasn't sure what I was going to be able to even get to. But it worked out where I had the party that we were having that week and having people come over. So I thought, let's utilize these people, some of them that are musically inclined, most of them which are not. Well, um, stop trying to pretend you're an actual human and have birthdays. You know, <laughs> yes, yes. It, just like my friend Alex Glowworld, who I met through the 61, um, my friend Jason locally will tell me about my imaginary friend Alex, who does not exist, even though he totally does. We're both June 14th kids on top of it, so... Yeah, I, I, I am a figment of your imagination, Mo. I'm sorry that it uh, took this long to tell you that. <laughs> Mo and I, I have... All, I have always known. Yeah, I figured that you would be on to me eventually with that. Mo and I have conversed back and forth since probably about 2004, but have never been in the same room together. Not yet, anyway. So there is that for history as well. I am rambling. But yeah, the party thought that I'd have people come downstairs into the basement and record vocals, so we did. And 
that's where you're going to hear us on the Val Sound song is the birthday barbecue choir. And then our dogs, of course, ended up on there because of the lyrical content. They wondered if we could get some dogs barking. So we got two of my dogs decided to bark a bunch. And then the neighbor's dog was the lower timbre um, dog as well. Dog choir. It was the dog choir. We had human choir and dog choir. Originally, we were talking at one point about Tom and I trying to do a cutting heads guitar solo duel, but that obviously didn't happen. Sadly, we were talking about like the movie Crossroads, where it's Ralph Macchio versus uh, Steve Vai, uh, where this would be like one of those sort of things. Yeah. Unfortunately, no, that did not come together. Yeah. We did something like that with Micah, with me on guitar solo and uh, Micah on accordion solo for a song that we did a long time ago for old friends. And it's kind of magical how we started kind of echoing some of each other's stuff, doing stuff completely independently. Oh, wow. If you can, yeah, if if an opportunity like that happens in the future, just just roll with it. Just go for it. I would highly recommend that. Absolutely. And and one thing that I can definitely say now that Narayan is over and there won't be any potential concerns of favoritism is I know that judging is a thankless task without a doubt. No matter what you do, you are never going to make everyone happy. Yeah. So screw you guys. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I was the judge for the second Narayan and I was. I was. I forgot that you were. That's awesome. Yeah, he was you making films at it, the same asshole. time. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that you did that. That's so fantastic. And so I did that, and I um, judged Spin Tunes once, which is why I did not judge Spin Tunes twice. So <laughs> there's there's history there. There's history there. It was not it was not pretty. There's a rule that ended up in place as a result of one of the fights on Spin Tunes, and it was not pretty. Oh wow. Long story made short, we had someone who wrote some really risque lyrics and they did not want their song to be posted publicly. And my thought at the time is if you've submitted to a thing like that and people can't actually hear your song, then it's basically the same as not submitting a song. Yeah, I don't see how it can go any other way. But the others disagreed with me and I caught a hell of a lot of flack from the other judges and most of the contestants over my decision on that. Even though that person moved on to the next round because my one vote was not enough to get them out of the competition. But um, wow, it, it, it was not pretty. Uh, but as a result of that round, they did make it a stipulation that if you do submit a song to Spin Tunes, it has to be one that everyone can hear. I understand why the guy did it, too, because he was a teacher and he didn't want his name associated with like these lyrics that were like, you know, foul mouth lyrics and everything. But my thought is you're doing a song competition. People should be able to hear that song. And then on top of it, he was begging us not to put it out to anyone. And I'm thinking, well, now if that song leaks for some reason, then I'm one of the people that's potentially implicated for releasing it too. And I'm not comfortable with that. So Glenn, I wanted to ask you about that video with brother machine. Oh yes. Yes. That was 2004. uh, Song fight live Austin, hot and bothered. Was Rachel there too? She was not, and that was one of the reasons that I did a lot of filming, is I wanted to try to bring Song Fight home to her, so I took far too much footage. In this era now, everyone has phones and everyone can take video footage. At that point in time, we had like a handheld 8mm video camera, and I was going around and essentially interviewing all of these people who I was meeting for the first time. (laughs) I was that annoying prick. But... I'm really glad that I have the footage of that because otherwise there's not a lot of footage from that era. 
and especially at this point, like talking to Seth, like in the parking lot and everything, I've got some of the footage of that that was used. The footage that you are seeing, though, is not from my camera. There was a gentleman named uh, Malachi Constant who had a much nicer video camera that he brought to the proceedings where he filmed the entire Austin Song Fight Live concert at the Church of the Holy Ghost in Austin, Texas. And uh, that's that's what you're seeing there. Cool. Um, Brother Machine just ended up, you know, Seth said that anyone who wants to get up and drum, you know, get on up here and drum. And, well, I, I figured that, well, that seems like it's also an invitation for someone to come up and play bass because no one's playing bass. And I really want to get up there because I'm a fan of this guy. So, thankfully... I got to be up there and playing bass the whole time, learning the songs as I was going in most cases. I didn't really know any of the songs that he was playing, but I kind of picked up on what was happening as it happened. And I'm glad I got a chance to play that entire set. I had to stop myself from joining him for the live fight because I really wanted to get up and reenact that. But I'm really glad that I held back and did not join him for that. He uh, placed in the top four for the uh, live fight as well. Nice. Where the title was Please the Pig. Ryan, do you have any questions for either of these guys? Well, a couple. I neglected to check spin tunes for your participation. So you judged, <laughs> but did, did you compete? I've never competed. I, I really, if I'm being honest, I was soured on the competition as a result of being a judge the one year. And I pretty much vowed that I was not ever going to come back to it as a result. All right. Okay. Yeah. It's maybe a little brutally honest for me, I guess, as far as that. But I, uh, I, I was not at all happy with uh, how things went down there. Yeah, I get that. I mean, we had kind of similar feelings about Narine for a little bit there, but yeah. uh, we ended up, you know, competing and then judging after all. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and Spin has asked me like nicely, like a few times if I would ever consider coming back. And I thanked him for it. But yeah, no, my mind was pretty well made up on that because I did the best that I possibly could as a judge to be as fair and impartial as I could to really listen to the songs, especially in the earlier rounds. There's more than 40 songs that you've got to listen to. And I'm giving rankings to each of these on like, okay, here's what I think of the lyrics. Here's what I think of the music. Here's what I think of the production. I really went all out to be the best possible judge that I could be. And and I got pretty much nothing but flack for it. So I, I am considering being a judge for this next year of Narine for what it's worth. And I'm trying to pull Mo back in there with me once again. (laughs) That would be awesome. You should absolutely no. do it because neither of us want to be pressured into it because we're not <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do it anymore. I, I yeah. read, I read some, we want to compete. I read some old board posts from Mo when I was cyber stalking. I mean, researching him. And, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! And uh, yeah, I remember you saying like, "Oh, dudes, I'm really sorry. I'm late with my rankings for this round, but I was filming bad TV in China at the time. And it was just <laughs> a hectic schedule." It's true. <laughs> Yeah, what year was that? Like 2005 or 2006. Okay, so specifically the bad TV that we're talking about, this would have to be it. It was a copy version of America's Next Top Model. Yeah. It was the first one of its kind being shot in China. It was insane. It was insane because the way that television works in China is, is very, very different from here. And as a result, like long story short, nobody had ever shot reality TV before like not that way of doing a show. And so you basically had to try to micromanage everything all the time or else it just wasn't going to happen. And then at the same time, like it was pure chaos. So like you couldn't actually manage anything. So yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Wow. Sounds very stressful. Uh, yeah, but for some reason I kept doing it. 
<laughs> I'm going to guess it was the money. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, it doesn't pay that well. So I seem oh, to have made a bunch of bad life choices. I'm going to have to get back to you guys. <laughs> that, that was and yet be- somehow ranking songs took a lower priority. <laughs> <laughs> for, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, what can I say? I'm sorry. Was this before or after The Way of the Spur? A way before, a way before. Oh, okay. I mean, The Way of the Spur is just my friend Jacob. He's a German guy. He wrote a film. He was really into spaghetti westerns and kung fu movies and decided he wanted to put them together. It was a movie that shot with, like, no budget, like, whenever anybody had time to. So he ended up getting me to be a villain figure in it just because he didn't have anybody else to. Because otherwise, I swear to God, nobody would ever put me <laughs> on like the other side of the camera. There's a poster of you for the film where you're maniacally laughing. Yeah, he he made a lot of posters. He made a lot of posters. <laughs> That's just how Mo looks most of the time, though. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Especially when I'm playing guitars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, do you guys have anything that you want to plug? Or Ryan? Wait, wait, wait. Do you wait have I, any... I have one more question because we, we haven't covered the whole cumulative challenge. Thing. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know heading into it that that's what you were going to do? Or was not more... at all? Not okay. at all. It was the second week, though. We I would say it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mo, but it seemed like the second week. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to actually do both challenges? And then I don't know if there was a, a consideration of whether or not we were going to keep doing it. But I will say that you guys threw me a curveball because I was intentionally wanting to go into Nurine writing songs that were not negative. Yeah, that's the one thing that I was kind of thinking like, oh, if we'd known that you were going to do that, I might have like pushed up against the diss track aspect. <laughs> of it. I mean, but having said that, I mean, your diss track was amazing. But then later on, it's like there was this little pill of negativity in each one of your songs. And, and I'm like, uh, it's yeah. the exact opposite of what I was aiming to do this year. Yeah. I seriously, because because if you look back at Narine 3, there's Glenn and Rachel. And one of the worst songs we did was for the Blitz. And it's basically this very, you know, the, the lyrics are very accusational. It's not a bright spot on our discography. If you look back at that particular song, I don't think it's a good song. And I think part of it is because the lyrics are very kind of a finger pointing sort of thing. And so I... Knowing that we had done that in Neurine 3, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go into this one, and I'm going to purposely avoid that. We're going to write positive songs. And then you guys hit me with diss track for the third one. <laughs> Thanks, so, jerks. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. You won that one, though, right? Wasn't we that- <laughs> That's the one that we won. That's the one that we won. And the key that I saw is, I think it was Nivius that was saying that bad raps won't do well. Yeah. So I aimed to make something that was not bad. Is a rap, but not a bad rap. Oh man, Grumpy Mike was so mad. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I saw that. Judges so. said no raps, and they rapped. Oh no, no, they didn't say no raps. They said no bad rap, and there is a difference between the two. My history from about 1987 to 1992, hip hop was just about all I listened to and absorbed. You can ask me. Almost anyone from the 87 to 92 era, and I know even the most obscure stuff because I collected cassettes just because they were rap at that point in time. But then I drifted away from it around 92 and started checking into other music, partially because of rap, though, because you recognize, oh, this song that I'm being forced to listen to on oldies radio by my parents in the car, I recognize it because there's a rap that sampled it. 
And it becomes this fun game of, ooh, I wonder if I can connect the dots and figure out where these other songs got these other samples from. So it becomes almost a game at that point, and it's so fun. I will say that uh, Glenn and I, to this day, start chats sometimes by doing, what is it, Check the Rhyme. Oh, yes, we do. Absolutely. Uh, And on that note, are you on point, Mo? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Chumpy's on point. (laughs) All the time, Flip. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I so, mean, like, we do that. Both of us are hip-hop and rap fans, even if, you know, uh, you probably tell less from me about that because there's not as much guitar playing. You can rap, uh, though. You rapped on a Frontal Little Squad track. I can rap if somebody else writes it. I did write your verse, I think. That, that yeah. is true. Yeah. And that was uh, Martians Are Gonna Eat Us by the Frontal Little Squad. Wasn't it supposed to be like a placeholder? Someone else was going to be doing it, and you did it as a placeholder, but we went with your verse. And you ended up sounding like Old Dirty Bastard in it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, like, I don't have a very interesting-sounding voice, in my opinion, so, like, I had to do something to it. Yeah. You know, God poor, damn, poor I'm a competent fools, forgot the rules. How'd you ever, ever make it through flag school? How the fuck does do you? How the fuck do you remember these things? <laughs> like I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast this morning. <laughs> uh, there's important things that I don't remember, but then I remember the most ridiculous, just not important things, like from years say, and years and years ago. Yeah, I will say this about the cumulative challenges. I think Glenn's right in that. Obviously, for message received, because he called me into the whole thing just like about a week before it all started. And we were not talking about cumulative challenges yet or anything like that. At, the point, at that time, we were just like, how are we going to make this work? You know, can we make this work? Because I didn't have any equipment at the time because it was all being shipped. And we, we figured it out. And then when we decided to do the cumulative challenges, we were just like, well, you know, fuck it. We'll just do it. And, you know, whatever. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be bad. Like, whatever. And then as time went on and we found it really odd that there seemed to be camps of people who believed that we were doing it in order to, like, what, game the judges? Yeah, to get extra to get, points. To get extra credit, you know, because it, as Glenn was saying, basically our whole thing was like, wait, what do we, What the fuck have we gotten ourselves into? Like, <laughs> how, how are we going to, because, you know, sure, you can just throw chiptune sounds into anything if you really want to. And it's but, an extra challenge that we're just going to throw at ourselves here. And but yeah, both Glenn and I are from the school of musicians who don't, do that right like it's everything needs to be motivated i think one of the things that you keep hearing over and over again from us in our commentary about other people's songs is like was this motivated do i feel that motivation does that make sense does it fit the song and this is one of the questions that we ask ourselves all the time and 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 we think about it a lot i mean there's there's any number of songs in our oeuvre for your eye that don't have guitar solos and the part of the reason for that is that we sat there and was like it doesn't work for this song It, it doesn't belong here you know, I think that um, it did become a burden, I think, because it became something that came into people's minds of are they doing the cumulative challenge? Are they going to? And it, with that extra scrutiny, maybe things that other people would have let go or we could have gotten away with became things we couldn't get away with. Right. And I was toying with the idea of abandoning it all and just bringing our A game and saying, OK, we got this far. And that was one of the reasons that we called back to message received with the next to last song was to open it up where maybe we won't do the cumulative challenge thing for the next round. But then it becomes this move of is that going to hurt us or help us if we drop it all at this point? There's no telling. (laughs) Oh, no. So we've basically made it 
more difficult on ourselves for no good reason except for the fact that, hey, let's challenge ourselves even more. There's an earlier neurine thing that I did a couple of years back where we were not allowed to use the letter A for the song, um, Excuse Me. And so I wrote the song about Wheel of Fortune, and the first line is, "Um, Excuse Me, I Would Like to Buy Vowels. (laughs) And... Throughout it, though, what what do you do to challenge yourself further on that? Rachel says you should write a rap verse because that's more lyrics instead right, of less. Right. I'm like, I'm, I'll show you. I'll do two rap verses on it. <laughs> so I will th- point out at this time, at this moment in time, I'd like to point out that the driving impetus of Glenn's creativity is spite. <laughs> it's not far off. It's not far off. Sometimes, at least. But no, it's that it's that same sort of thing. It's like, okay, how can I make this extraordinarily more difficult on myself than it needs to be? So even two neurons ago, I was doing that same sort of thing that what we did with the cumulative challenge by doing like, oh, okay, so we can't use the letter A. Well, then I'm going to use more lyrics. And so I feel like that spirit carried over to what we did with this cumulative challenge thing. And for better or worse, it worked out. But for anyone who thinks that you're going to get extra favor, I would challenge them to try it and see how far they get. I mean, talk to Spin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was pretty down on that at the, on the last yeah. round. <laughs> I mean, and I can't, I can't say I, can't I blame, blame him. I, can't, I don't blame him either. I mean, like, if I were in his shoes, if I were in your shoes, if I were as a judge, I would sit there and be like, well, look, if you're going to do the cumulative challenges thing, that has to be your A game. It has to be really fucking good yeah. for me to, like, sit there and be like, I'm going to listen to this now as opposed to, fuck you guys. Like, <laughs> really? You're going to give me that? You know? And, and uh, as far as the extra challenges on the song Where the Streets Have No Name, I decided that every line of the song was going to have exactly 13 syllables and that it was going to be a kind of not something that you're necessarily going to notice, but the town that we came up with in there is going to have bad luck. And so like with the number 13, oh, we're going to make it exactly yeah. 13 syllables. That was like an underlying thing that would not necessarily get noticed, but I thought I'm going to do this. What was an interesting lesson to me on that is even though each line is 13 syllables long, the placement of the words is different. And as a result of that, you might have it to where the first sentence of those 13 syllables is only five here, but it's seven here and it's three here. And it's like, oh, I can't use the same melody because I'll be in the middle of a thought. I never would have realized that before. Like, so I learned something from doing what we did with that one that I never realized previously. But part of it too, is just being aware of what you're doing, right? Like there are other people who would, who would have gone to do the same thing and they would have just, you know, rolled with it and done whatever they were going to do. And I think one of the defining characteristics of the way that Glenn and I worked together is that we sort of like look at everything under a microscope and, we end up talking about like all this obscure like bullshit that no one's ever going to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but we know. We know. You and know those 13 make... syllables are there. Yeah. Well, you know, and then the next song, there's every line is seven syllables. But anyway. The... <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that was the other part of it is if you read the lyrics backwards to forward, then it makes almost even more sense because each line was meant to be read in reverse order. So. Right. And that's why I think one of you guys was the, one of the people who caught on to it. Like the way that we built the song, that particular song is the opposite way that you would normally build a song. Right. It doesn't build. It devolves. Right. Yeah. And that was to go to the same concept of how do we 
reflect that the story is going backwards in this song. Well, we have to do it in the music too, right? Yep. You can't just do it in the lyrics or else what's the point? Artistically yep. speaking, you know. And initially we did record it where it was like a regular song and it just ramped up and got like way bigger and I thought let's no, let's let's do the opposite. Yeah, let's start let's... big and tear it down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean if that answers any kinds of questions or anything like that sort of our process is we sit around and like first we start insulting everyone around us <laughs> and then <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we talk about how we feel about that. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like Nivius also picked up the fact that Agony Sauce, if you rearrange the letters, you get our last names. Oh, wow. I did not pick up on that. I didn't yeah, yeah. That That's Anagrams. Yeah. Like Mrs. Madrigal. We've had the name Agony Sauce for well over a decade, I think, at this point, and we had just never done it. We'd been talking about making an album together or making songs together, and it never came together until this Neurine, but we've been holding on to the Agony Sauce name since probably at least 2004, 2005. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If I can throw something else, the idea to me also that like what Val Sounds was doing was a gimmick is also sort of doesn't really scan to me very well because maybe it's just me. Like I like concept albums. Yeah. You me know, too. and I like the fact that there's some sort of continuity and a thread going on, especially like if you think about it, like a lot of people, they do these songwriting competitions for a reason. Right. And it's to get more songs, to force yourself to be creative when otherwise you would have just drunk beers with your weird cousin or something, you know? My cousin's really good at drinking beers, by the way. <laughs> the, uh, it did sound a little specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is really good at drinking beers. So. There you <laughs> go. And whiskey. Last time I saw her, we drank, we got a bottle of Pogues brand whiskey because apparently the Pogues make their own whiskey. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, it was Christmas time. So the... <laughs> uh, <laughs> In the drop so we are so long-winded, but I love it. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I'm sorry about the, 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 the... This is the longest podcast that you guys have done, right? Well, I'm, I'm sure they're going to edit. Well, a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, none of this is making it. <laughs> this will be the know. additional extra podcast for people yeah, who actually well, care. Yeah, for yeah. your Patreon people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but, Mike, Mike was joking about restarting up Logic. It's, it's all... <laughs> this is all just going into ether. Oh, good. Okay, perfect. So you guys so heard just... your fairy tale of New York moment with the Pogues whiskey? Yeah, but what I was really talking about was vowel sounds and like being able to sustain a story, a narrative like that over eight songs continuously when you don't know what the title is going to be. Yeah, and you don't know what the challenge is going to be. You're making you it tougher on yourself. Yet. Yeah, they made it tougher on themselves. Yeah, they made it equally as hard on themselves as you guys did. I thought. Oh, yeah. And it's something that could have always served us or hurt us. And eventually it hurt us. Yeah. I think they did a smarter thing, though, Glenn. Because I would the agree. Story, the storyline thing, as a, doing a concept album, basically, as your theme or motif for it, is like a stronger artistic statement than the cumulative challenges, which. Agreed. Right. Which by nature is just sort of like a random thing anyway. Absolutely. Could not agree more on that. Yeah, I think attributing the word gimmick to it was something that was probably started by you know somebody else. And I, I'm not sure that we used that either, but if we did, then that was probably... Oh, no, I'm not infected. saying that oh, we guys... don't. It wasn't yeah. you guys, no. We, we definitely saw it in the boards, though. And, and you know, people are going to believe what they believe. And again, I would just challenge them if they think it's such a gimmick and that it's going to be so helpful for them. Try it out. See how far you yeah, get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there might have been an element of trash talk to that, too. Yep. <laughs> and you know what's interesting is I thought Spin probably didn't like that Vowel Sounds had some songs 
that were, you know, in the Ouija-verse. And I don't think he was down with the Ouija-verse on every song either. So it probably yeah. did hurt them, at least with one judge. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure it did. Basically, there's a certain subset of judges. And because judges are, like, I'm sorry if I'm blowing your cover, but judges are human, too. And, oh. uh, and of course, people are going to have reactions to things. Like, it's just sort of the way it is. So you make the artistic statements you're going to make. Right. It's the same as throwing it out there into the audience or into the universe anyway. Right. Maybe some people are going to like it. Maybe some people aren't like whatever. To me, that's the whole point of five judges is because you're going to have people that are going to judge the songs on different merits. Everyone's going to like what they like. And that evens it out a little bit because at least you're getting five opinions instead of just one or two. Right. And only one of those judges is likely going to hate David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Which one hates David Bowie? I think that was Brooks. Uh, <laughs> Frankie Bigface was like, who hates David Bowie? <laughs> I was shocked that Frank went out as quick as he did. Yeah. Granted, some of his ones towards the end weren't as strong as like the best Frankie Bigface songs are. But um, I, I personally would have had him in there longer. Yeah, well, he went out in the very strongest round. I didn't think that there were any bad songs in the chiptune round. That's liked, a good call. Yeah, I like literally every single one of those songs. Yeah, I did so much shuffling for my rankings because it was like, how can I put this in the bottom three? How can I put any of these songs in the bottom three? It's a rough thing once you start getting to those later rounds. Yeah, and that wasn't even one of the very latest rounds. It was it was somewhere in the middle, and every single one of those songs were really strong. Like I think I put uh, the Sunday Colors at the very bottom, but. There's was a great song. No, you know, they had like, a good song in that round. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of those songs was strong. It was really good, but you got to rank them. So I do like that. It seems like Narayan really does bring out the best in the competitors. Usually like yeah. some of the best songs that I know by Frankie are ones that he did for Narayan. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I just recently downloaded a bunch from Narayan that I hadn't heard my attention has gone and come back and stuff like that over the past 15 years but yeah just recently on the pre-show listening party or maybe the post-show listening party i'd heard some stuff that tommy was playing and then i'd go back and find it and it would be like frankie big face doing unexpected guest yes <laughs> which is an awesome song and then the other one uh about the little girl uh shoot what is it it's oh like, that's um elizabeth the great yes yes which is great a song. wonderful wonderful song such a good song yeah oh my god uh, he's on my list of people to cover for my glenn case sings the songs of series which the second one by the time everyone's hearing this has come out oh, oh. really we're at the yep. point of the podcast where let's plug things yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So I have, uh, this is Glenn here, of course. I have my new album that came out on my birthday called Fighter Number no. 6. I think it's one of the better albums I've made since 2013's Throw Money. Pretty pleased with it. I also did for January where I did a song every day for the month of January. That can be found on my Bandcamp profile. And now you can find Glenn Case sings the songs of Eric Brandon, a.k.a. 1516 Puzzle. Oh, my God. Um, is going to be on my Bandcamp page. As we're recording this, it's not out yet. And I've told no one except for Mo and a few other people. So this is the first time that Chumpy and Ryan are hearing about it. But it will be released on 1516 Puzzle's birthday, which is Wednesday, July 3rd. So by the time you're hearing this, I assume this is coming out after that, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 
Maybe I don't know. Not. We got a lot maybe to edit maybe, here. Maybe a little earlier. There is a ton to edit, but well, I think in general there's there's fewer ums than usual, so we'll see. Yeah. Perfect. Well, one way or the other, and I will say this about Eric. He's a wonderful guy. He picked me up at the airport when I went to Austin, and he completely forgot that he was playing bass for my set. <laughs> so there's my that. way... Uh, my way of repaying him is to lovingly record covers of 16 of his songs, 15 of them that are listed, but a 16th that's a bonus track. <laughs> right. Because, of course, I did 15, 16. For Ryan that. may be one of the world's largest 15, 16 puzzle fans in the world. So, Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, I love his work so much. Sure. But, and, and, and with him, it's it's like the quality of the recordings is so bad, but the songs are so amazing. Yes. <laughs> He's got to be one of the greatest songwriters to ever come through Songfight, and I really hope that we can turn some people on to his other stuff, and man, oh man, wouldn't it be great to have some new songs from him. Yeah, yeah, there's some footage on YouTube of him performing, I think it's You Fell Out of the Sky, and I'm pissed at it because he doesn't remember his own words. And I'm like, <laughs> I've memorized these words, I can sing these words in my sleep, why can't you? you know, I love these songs. That's so, yeah, Eric for you. That's Eric for you. And then I surprised him at Song Fight Live Austin by covering one of his songs, though. So even though he didn't remember that he was playing bass for my set, he played bass for my set. And one of the songs was his. I covered Hotel during oh. that time. So cool. that's the main things I've got coming out. I've got my Patreon. I've got too many things. Google search Glenn Case, and it's the musician one. I mean, if you really want to torture yourself, go ahead and Google Glenn Case. <laughs> <laughs> two N's. G-L-E-N-N-C-A-S-E. This is true. Yeah. But I'm pretty proud of how the uh, Eric Brandon um, one is coming up. So there you I go. I will say that I have heard Fighter 6, of course, and Fighter 6 is actually a really, not just Glenn saying this, but it is actually a really good album. There's some tremendous songs on it. I think Glenn put a lot more of him. You know, Glenn, because he does so many songs, sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way about it, Glenn, because sure. you've never talked about it, but there's sometimes when you put you know, not as much of yourself into the song. Sure. And you didn't save anything in Fighter 6. Like, no. you can hear it. You can really hear it. And I think I will often throw gimmicks in there, and there's not much in the way of gimmicks this time. Yeah, I, it's pretty I, I will say that. Yeah. yeah, like, if you look at the album that I released on April 1st, I don't know if you guys saw that. I released two albums on April 1st. I forgot to mention those. Um, one's called So Much To Do, one's called So Much To See. Did you guys catch those at all? Yeah, I think uh, I saw that one. Yeah. The, the song titles... I can remember pretty easily because for so much to do, the song titles are um, somebody once told me the world was gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest <laughs> tool in the shed. She was you looking so bad, kind of dumb <laughs> with I her finger so much. and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. That's that's the first album. The second album, so much to see. It's hey, now you're an all star. <laughs> right, right. Get your game on. Go play. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's basically the lyrics, the verse and uh, chorus to Smash Mouth's um, <laughs> All-Star are the song titles. Note that I released it on April 1st. Right. Glenn is such a slacker. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I was already known as the guy, like what Jeff Fall said about me was that this guy writes a lot of songs. It doesn't necessarily say that they're good songs, but that was the quote that I had on my website for a long time is this guy writes a lot of songs. Yeah, and covers a lot of songs. This is true. This is also true. Anyway, I have stuff. Oh, and my No Fake Friday videos. I do a video every Friday on YouTube. Um, I do an original song every week for my Patreon patrons, uh, $4 a week for that. That's more than enough about me. That's what's up. All right, Mo, what you got? Well, I'd like to plug Glenn Case's stuff. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> he clearly doesn't uh, have anything prepared to say about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't really have anything. I, I do occasionally write a guitar blog where I talk about things like how to pick the right overdrive pedal for you or should you really buy that other guitar? The answer is no, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's on Medium. Sh- yeah, that's right. The short version of that is go practice. <laughs> that was your advice on the SFBB guitar doctor thread, too. I mean, <laughs> go practice. 95% of the time, maybe 99% of the time, your problem with your tone isn't your equipment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they have that legendary story of, like, when Ted Nugent went to play Eddie Van Halen's rig because he was like, oh, this is the new hot shot in the block. Let me try this shit out. And Ted Nugent goes and he plugs in and he starts playing. He's like, I sound like Ted Nugent. I don't sound like Eddie Van Halen. Well, no fucking shit. Like, <laughs> you don't finger tap. Your fingers move at like half the speed. And Eddie Van Halen has spent at that point his entire life working out like little tricks that he still does to this day because uh, actually Eddie Van Halen solos are secretly like easy to pull off if you know his like six tricks. But I mean, of course, you didn't sound like him. It's the same thing with anybody else. They're like, I need to improve my tone. Well, if you want to improve your tone, what is it that you want to improve? What's missing? We're back to motivation and intention again, right? Like, yeah. you need to know what it is that you want to improve. You can't just say, like, I want it to be better. Well, what's better for you is not what's better for me, right? So you got to know. I think it's the same thing with songwriting. I think it's the same thing with lyric writing. I think it's the same thing with, with everything else. You just need to be mindful and aware of what you actually are trying to achieve. And define the first piece. Yeah, you need to define it so that you can know what it is, right? Like, it's all part of a thing. So um, that'll be my self-help book. You should type that into yeah. the bulletin board under the gear acquisition syndrome thread. Because <laughs> I actually went there because I was thinking about getting a guitar and I wanted people to talk me out of it. But then I read that thread and it's all people saying, yeah, you should buy that. Yeah, it's all people enabling each other. Buying things is easier than practicing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I used to have like 15 guitars, right? And now I'm down to like five, I think, or maybe six. But each serves a purpose, though. Right. I have one Stratocaster. I have one Les Paul, right? I have one Super Strat type guitar with a whammy bar that's set to do all like this stuff. And a semi-hollow guitar, uh, 335 type, and then like a couple of acoustics. And the acoustics are different. One's a small body parlor. One's a large body dread. So like, not to quote Radiohead, but everything in its right place, right? Ah, uh, yes. You, yep. you need to be able to say, the reason why I need this is because I need to be able to do that. So the only reason I had like tons of guitars at one point is because, as I think you mentioned at the top of the podcast, I'm in all these tribute bands. I was on all those tribute bands. So I was in the Foo Fighters band. Who wants to go see the Foo Fighters tribute if you're not playing like that shiny blue Pelham Blue 335 that Dave Grohl plays. Like, it's his iconic guitar, right? Right. If you're in a Led Zeppelin tribute and you're not playing a Sunburst Les Paul, like, what are you going to do? Play a pointy headstock Jackson? Like, (laughs) with the Floyd Rose and play Zeppelin tunes and call yourself a tribute band? No. The look becomes important. Yeah. Yeah, you know? So that was part of the reason why I had, because I was doing, like, I was also doing, like, a, a, a jazzier thing, so I needed a big body arch top type guitar for that, and like what else? Oh, when I did a Van Halen tribute, so I got like a black and yellow Eddie Van Halen type striped guitar for that with the Floyd Rose and all that. kind. Of, so like, you know, the, everything had a purpose. Everything had a purpose. And then when those purposes were done, goodbye. Go to somebody who will love you, hopefully. Yeah. I was also thinking about starting up a song fight podcast, and I'm not even kidding about that because there's not enough of them. 
<laughs> well, if, yeah. if Nivius and Brooks, like, you know, make good on their podcast threat, then that may be true. But I think there's still room at this point. Okay. They're really uh, stretching it out on those last two neuron fights, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're making so many friends today. <laughs> well, they just got married. I'm sure they have more important things to do. Exactly. I think it's great that they got married. I, unfortunately, I don't think it's great that they're looking for a bass player because I'm not in New York. Otherwise, I just go do it. So that was not a very good plug, Mo, <laughs> for your stuff. I don't have. I don't really have stuff to plug right now. Is the problem? Like, I don't have a TV show coming out. I've got. If some anybody wants to throw money at me, uh, subtle. Do you see what I did there? Uh, throw money at me to like uh, write movies for them or you know write TV for them. That'd be nice. But at the moment, I'm writing a memoir of my time doing TV in China. I'm writing a bunch of projects that hopefully will happen, but none of them are out yet, so there's nothing really to plug. Do you have any opinions on that sort of song fight-esque reality show where, you know, songwriters take songs to these experts, sort of like America's Got Talent or something, or a, uh, what is it, America's Top Voice? I don't watch any of that shit, so you, I'm not really sure. They have one that's supposed to be coming out. I think it's called Song Land. That yeah, is that's a it. Yeah, and it's supposed to be for songwriters. I have submitted to it, but have not heard back, though, because I think I submitted at a time where they were already filming and doing their thing. But if it goes for a second season, maybe I'll get a call. Maybe I won't. Cool. Well, if you're on, I'll definitely watch. Well, there you go. I haven't seen this show, so I can't really comment. I, I don't really want to comment on it. Other than to say that, like, I think that those kinds of shows are inherently difficult to pull off. Uh, I, don't, I don't have enough of a story, I don't think. <laughs> Since like 2 p.m. or whenever we started this, that's probably the most ridiculous thing that's been said. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is obviously normally you have some sort of a inspiring like, you know, sob story or something that yeah. makes people want to vote for you. Or tell me, well, do you have a nice ass? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Referencing <also> my lyrics. <laughs> There's still time. I mean, you can develop a narcotics dependency and then kick it. You're not wrong. <laughs> second season. You're not wrong. You know, I've actually I've done pot once in my life, and it was recently because it's legal now. What I did not like about it is that I was in my back porch, basically on my back porch, like playing music. And I didn't realize that I'd started a song until I was about one third of the way through it. <laughs> yeah, it I'm a, with your sense of time. I'm a lightweight, is what it turns out, basically. I'm like a one-and-done with beer, and then in this one case. The only disappointing thing to me is I figured, if and when the first time I did that, that I wanted to have a studio ready and to be writing and recording songs just to see how it affected my process. But to have someone else at the helm doing it. So like I wasn't trying to count on myself to also produce it, because I don't think that would go well. Yeah. And for footage of that, you need to get on Glenn Case's Patreon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Amazing. There, there are so many people that have said, if you ever do that, you damn well better invite me. <laughs> I think LSD is probably a better creative drug than pot. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So when, they when they legalize that in Washington, then there we go. get on that. It's on. Yeah, it's on. Yep. Hey, Glenn, have I ever told you my LSD story? No, actually, you have not. Do we have time for an LSD story before we all die of hunger and thirst? Make it happen. Uh, let's let's do it. This will be our first four-hour-long podcast. It'll be <laughs> epic. When I was a freshman in college, one of my friends was at MIT. And I'm from like right outside Boston, and um, his friend 
had made, because they're MIT organic chemistry students, they did what any self-respecting MIT organic chemistry student would do, and they made vials of liquid acid for themselves. <laughs> and so we got one, and uh, he called me up, and I went over, and we did the liquid acid. Uh, That's the end of the story. Uh, uh, <laughs> a cascade, an avalanche of bad decisions that happened afterwards. First, we went around MIT with pieces of chalk declaring things either art or not art. (laughs) (laughs) Which was fun. I mean, that needed to happen. That's fair. (laughs) And then we got hungry. So we went back to the dorm where we had a bottle of Black Death vodka, which was endorsed by Slash at the time, if you remember. It is not good vodka, But at any rate, we drank it because, you know, that's what you do when you're fucking high. And we watched The Naked Lunch. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) With a hamburger pizza. So to this day, I cannot look at hamburger pizza, smell vodka, or watch The Naked Lunch. But I still call things art or not art. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. I feel like that might be a good note to end on. Yeah, let's wrap this sucker up. Any brief shout outs? Shout out to the entire song fight community, past and present. R.I.P. to the ones who are no longer with us. Yeah, and I think a a special shout out at this particular moment to all the people who participated in Nirain. Yes. uh, That we competed against and listened to, honestly, like a lot of really great songs. You know, wholeheartedly agree. And um, and and a lot of like real creativity. This is the reason why you song fight or you Nirain or whatever is that here is true unvarnished creativity that's not like corporate prepackaged bullshit. So you would um, call it art? I would call it, I mean, it wants to be art, right? <laughs> not, not everything gets there. And I think that a lot of the people who are involved would be the first to admit that. So Can I we call one of our albums It Wants to Be Art? Yeah, of course. Why <laughs> awesome. Wouldn't <you>? <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? It, it's going to be the collaboration with the jerks. It'll oh, be, yes! It'll be, it'll be Agony Jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I, already, I already know the song list the first song will be entitled we're no strangers uh the second <laughs> that's second... my plan for next april <laughs> i'm actually not kidding <laughs> oh wait you're gonna have to cut that out so that glenn can keep oh his stupid no that's fine <laughs> i did my rick roll one year with uh did you guys ever know about the 61.com no Oh. oh, God, it was the greatest site. They ruined their own site eventually, and now it no longer exists. So RIP the 61. So think of it as like the way that you level up in Dungeons & Dragons, but you level up for listening to music. They made it to where people, as listeners, you could go and like a song. And if other people liked it after you did, you get points. Oh. And you level up. And if you become a level five listener, you can like songs five times and then it's exponential from there. So it gives people incentive to want to go and find the best songs that they know other people are also going to like because it gives them more of, you know, you level up more, you have more influence over what shows up on the front page. Right. So they turn music listening and creating music into a game. And I just lost the game. I apologize for that as well. But for those playing the game, which is all of us. Uh, but where was I going with the 61? Part? Oh, yeah. One year for the 61. What I did on April 1st is I changed all of my songs to Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. <laughs> and then on April 2nd, I changed them all back to their regular songs. So, 
like I was like, I, I got a new song out today. And like it was I had something like 30, 40 songs on the site at that time. And all of them that day were never going to give you up by Rick Astley. And then I changed them back. That was fun. I miss that site sometimes, but there were some song fighters that I turned on to that site. And perhaps one of the most popular of the song fighters, uh, Brother Machine did well. I, I turned him onto the site, but State Shirt, who yeah. I think is highly underrated, but he did really, really, really well on the 61. People loved him there. People underrate State Shirt. I mean, his stuff is great. He's phenomenal. Yeah. And he's always placed well, I thought. Oh, yeah. 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 I just as far as it seems like he's like one of those forgotten gems that if you weren't around at the time, then people just don't know or remember who he is. And shout out to State Shirt and his uh, YouTube channel, uh, Hello Road, where he talks about cars. Well, that sounds like a whole new podcast that you guys should be doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right. I would like to give a shout out to the Internet. Because without the Internet, which I love dearly, none of this would be possible. So thank you. Thank you. Internet. Have, you heard, have you heard MC Frontalot's new album? I've heard the title, I think, but I haven't heard the album. Net Split? Net Split. It's all about how he's breaking up with the internet? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, you know. I mean, It sounds like it I, might be the end. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like the internet's like free and available for you right now. <laughs> nice. I remember thinking that, oh my god, Net Split, that's like an IRC term. Like, he is so nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind you know, of his thing. Can I blow his cover for a minute? Yeah, by all means. He's a year behind me at uh, Wesleyan. He came a, a year later. And, uh, you know, when he showed up at Wesleyan the first time for like his, it wasn't like freshman orientation, it was like, a, like the campus visit thing. He came in our hall and he had this really long hair and he wore a bandana and all he wanted to do was sing Guns N' Roses songs. <laughs> <laughs> With you, Mo, I really don't know if that's a real story. I'm believing it. <laughs> I, I want to believe. He had the long hair and he did like an Axl Rose impression and and, everything. <laughs> was, and he wore the bandana on his head. Like, I'm not joking about, that. you know, I, I love his music, but like the, he, he sort of helped create what I call the dark ages of song fight when everything was nerdcore. Oh yeah. My very first thing that I did was after finding him, I did a nerdcore rap mumbo jumbo as the deaf author was my first submission to song fight. So I hear you. I'm part of that dark, dark uh, era. <laughs> the dark times. Yes. Yeah. It's all guitar rock now, so it's okay. Yeah. It, they eventually got over it. Yeah. Or the, you know, all the nerdcore wannabes found some other venue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That uh, was called Rhyme Torrents was what that was. All right. Where... I'm going to do some quick, quick shout outs. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Andre, to Brian, to Alice. And also, uh, shout out to Lunkhead. Thanks for running the Songfight website. Uh, shout out to Fluffy for fixing everything that breaks. Shout out to Nivius for his great job running Nurain. And uh, congratulations to Nivius and Brooks Yay. again. And uh, I think that's all I had. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's Pride here in Seattle. So shout out to all my Seattle LGBTQ pals. Have a great pride. Wear lots of sunscreen. It's fucking hot today. Uh, by the time this comes out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, we'll just edit this out. I hope out. you had a wonderful... <laughs> hope you had plenty of sunscreen. We're not on the radio. I keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Caller number two. <laughs> okay, guys. We are out. I'm hitting stop. This thing is over.